from the halls of assembly, you hear a scream and shout. I love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hello, Ward. Hello, Eric. Dude, this is it. This is the week of Hoosier fantasy experience. It is upon us. I am ready to get lost in the fantasy. Are you ready, though? Are you no. really ready? <laughs> not physically, mentally, emotionally. Well, maybe not. But I feel a lot better about my mind and my soul heading into this than, than my physical body. Yeah, my physical body is done. And I've got to, I'll tell you the story, cortisone shots. We got to get into that. But before we do any of that, we got some business to take care of. And we're going to start with something different today because okay. the Fan Fest is upon us. It is. The Fan Fest is this Saturday at Assembly Hall. Doors open at six, event starts at seven. Autographs, pictures, scrimmage, race and trace, captaining both teams, going to do a live draft and pick mm. their teams with the help of two fans in attendance as guest coaches with a live auction from them. Yep. Bring your cash, people. Bring your cash. Bring your cash. Bring your phones. Bring your plastic. We'll take a traveler's check. Does anybody use traveler's checks anymore? I bet if my dad traveled, he would. Yeah, take it out of his fanny pack. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there is a VIP experience being offered at the Hoosier Fan Fest that I want to go through. Okay. We are very excited that we have the Wow Club as a partner for Hoosier Fantasy Experience and specifically the Fan Fest. They are running a promotion. It's running right now. They're going to give away two Hoosier Fan Fest VIP experiences. Let me tell you what that includes, Ward. Wow. Yes, exactly. The Wow Club. Here's what it includes. Two premium tickets, so you get premium seating up close and personal at the Fan Fest. Wow. You get a team autographed basketball, basketball signed by everybody on the team. Wow. You get a behind-the-scenes tour of Assembly Hall. Wow. And you get a gear bag, a Hoosier swag bag, baby. Can, can, are we eligible? We are not eligible. We are not. But you are Two premium VIP experience tickets. You have to be a WOW Club member to register, but it's totally free to join. Totally free. Here's what you have to do. You have to go to this website, and I'm sorry it's a long website. I didn't create it, but write it down. Maybe you could put up a little graphic for the video. Well, sure. Yeah, I could also put it in the comments below the podcast. There you go. And this is going to get complicated because there's a slash in here. And you know that you and I have no idea which slash is what. <laughs> so here's where you have to go. You have to go to GoTeamBytes.com, which is G-O-T-E-I-N-B-I-T-E-S.com slash. And that is the slash that goes from the bottom left to the upper right. I don't know. Is that backslash? I think it's forward. I, one of us is wrong. One of us is wrong. It's lower left to upper right. GoTeamBytes.com slash IU-Fan-Fest-22. Now, you might be asking yourself, was GoTeamBytes.com backslash IU-Fan-Fest-22 taken? Apparently, because they had to add in all the dashes. So it's GoTeamBytes.com, lower left to upper right slash 
IU-FAN-FEST-22, the numbers. The contest runs through August 18th. So that's through Thursday. Go join. It's free. What an experience you'll have. I can't wait for this fan fest. The players are talking trash online. Mm-hmm. We had a new development over the weekend. Anthony Leal wanted to have a half court shot competition. I don't know if you saw this word on Twitter. I, I did not. So Anthony Leal wanted to have a half court competition because he's like, he's the champ and he wants to keep that going and defend his crown. Sure. So I'm like, well, yeah, that sounds good. But why don't we up the ante a little bit? So I just threw out the idea to community cars. Here's what we're going to do. Everybody on the team is going to represent one fan from FanFest. Oh, I love this. Okay. Whoever wins the half-court competition, when they buy or lease a car from Community Cars, their first three payments, free. Wow. I mean, we know that CommunityCars.com is the best place in the world to buy a car from, and you're going to get the best price no matter what because you're a Hoosier and they take care of Hoosiers, and your first three months are free. That's, I mean, I, I would get the most expensive car possible. And then after three months, be like, no, it's not for me. Then sell it. <laughs> then sell it. I guess you could do that. Why not? The market's still good for used cars. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, really thankful to communitycars.com. And that is why we are powered by communitycars.com. Jingle, jingle, jingles. I love me some jingles. I love a jingle. I like jingles about shingles. Nope. Well, that'll be easy to cut out. Yeah, I couldn't land that one. <laughs> couldn't land that one. So, Fan Fest, if you have not gotten your tickets yet, who's your fantasy experience.com? Who's your fantasy experience.com? Go get your tickets. There's plenty of $5 tickets remaining. The more people we get packed into that place, the more money we raise for NIL, the more we give to the current IU players, the what you seem like you've got something. The more fun it will be. Yes, the more fun it will be. Let's just raise the roof off that mother. This is going to be a blast. And the more, the merrier Hoosier Nation will be there, but you don't have to interact with us. That is true. So let's back up and talk about the fantasy camp that you and I are both not physically prepared for. I went in today to the YMCA to try to get some shots up. I said, hey, is it are this pickleball in there? And they, they're like, yeah, but they've just got one net up. But you, you could try, but they're going to kick you out soon. I was like, okay. So I go in there, but the closet where they keep the basketballs was locked. And I'm like, well, by the time I get back out there and I bring somebody with me, it'll be over. So there were, it wasn't even like a junior size ball. It was, it wasn't like the pizza hut size ball the you got ball? for free. It was like somewhere in between, but I felt like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar while I was holding that thing. Yeah. And I got some, I got some shots up. Um, uh, I do think I'd be a better basketball player if I had gigantic hands. I feel like I would be a better basketball player if I could make basketball shots. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. These big hands, man, they help you control the ball more. Yes. But then at the free throw line, they struggle. But but no, Kawhi Leonard doesn't struggle at the free throw line. He's got ginormous mitts. It's that's it's, that's a good point. I think it's the huge dudes when they have all those huge limbs and three hundred pounds is where it starts to be an issue. So here's what I did physically to prepare. Because what many would have done is for months been doing a regiment at a gym, practicing drills, defense, shooting, layups, dribbling. You know the things you do. I decided to forego all that 
and make an appointment with my orthopedic doctor last Friday. Preventative care. Preventative care. And I walked in. Now, keep in mind, the last time I was at this office is when I fell off of my stairs on on Halloween night (laughs) and just tore the hell out of my uh, ankle the week before we did FanFest last year. Uh, well, I'm glad you got specific because I've lost track of how many times you've fallen in your front yard yeah. and I've seen ring videos uh, as evidence. So, yes, that was the last time you actually had to go to the doctors as a result. Exactly. So I walked in. They lead me to the back. A nurse comes in and says, what are you here for? And I said, my knees. She goes, which one? I said, both of them. <laughs> and she looked at me a little strange. She goes, can we get x-rays? I'm like, yeah. I don't think it matters, but sure. And she's like, well, we kind of have to get x-rays. So they take me to get x-rays, come back to the room. Here comes my doc. This guy's a badass. I love him. He comes in hot with two guys with him that he's training. Like he comes in like firing away. Okay. And he just goes, he goes, he walks in and he goes, did you fall off your stairs again? (laughs) And I go, no, I'm actually here because... There's this fantasy. Oh, he goes, oh, you're doing that fantasy camp that you did three years ago. Like this guy knew he must have looked at the the chart because three years ago, two weeks before the fantasy camp, my knee was a real problem. I didn't think I'd be able to play. And he gave me a cortisone shot Mm -hmm. in it. Dr. Feelgood. Dr. Feelgood. So I said, yeah, yeah, I'm back because I'd love to get a cortisone shot again. He goes, yeah, I think we could do that. He goes, which one? I go, "Uh, both of them. And he kind of paused. He's like, what? I'm like, look, man, I'm three years older. I'm three years more out of shape. I can count on three fingers the number of times I've been on a basketball court since I was here last. And all of them are with Ward Roberts just dicking around at Assembly (laughs) Hall while we sneak in and shoot baskets. They're a cook hall. I just want to be able to get through like a half of basketball before the pain is too much. And I just have to sit down and cry for the rest of the weekend. Can you just pump me full of, he goes, no problem. Nice. Jams me with two cortisone shots. First one, fine. Second one, he moved the needle while he was talking to me Mm. and it hit something. Mm. And that did not feel good. Mm. But he's like, all right, you'll be good. This will help you. He gave me like a big anti-inflammatory pill to take two. He's like, just take this preventatively too. Just take one in the morning, one at night. Oh, nice. I'll share them with you. I'll yeah, share I was gonna. I was gonna ask how many he gave you. No, I got plenty. Great. I got plenty. And then I said, "Hey, um, any chance for HGH?" <laughs> you did. You asked him. Oh yeah. And he goes, "I don't think you have any idea what you're talking about." <laughs> and I said, "Well, no, no, HGH, like you know, human growth hormone." It'll... He goes. You think if I inject your knees with HGH (laughs) that somehow that's going to help you for next week? I said, look, man, I, I, anything can help. I mean, I don't see how it could hurt. And he, he was just not having the HGH conversation with me. Look, you did what you do. You pushed it a little too far. He finally had to say no. Uh, But look, I, I think you've done all you could do short of getting in great shape. Yes, yes. I've done everything except the one thing that was most important. So look, we got the golf tournament. Mm -hmm. We got, which is going to be amazing, get to see a bunch of former IU players and the coaching staff, the current coaching staff. We got Fantasy Camp. We got Fan Fest. And remember, if you have kids 
girls uh, grades one to eight or boys grades one to six, you can still go to HoosierFantasyExperience.com and sign up for an amazing three-hour, four-hour clinic with the women's team on Sunday. You don't want to miss that. It's a ton of fun, and this women's team is amazing to hang out with. I just was telling my son, I was giving him the rundown of the whole the whole weekend. And he was like, oh, that oh, that sounds cool. Like getting coached by Indiana players. That sounds cool. Oh, that's awesome. And then I got to the part of the youth camp. And that's when it hit him. He goes, oh, I really wish I was going with you. Oh, and I was like, oh, buddy, I wish you were going too." So we're just going to have to do it next year and make sure a little guy comes along because he would he would be all about that my daughter my oldest daughter stella gave me the same thing she would love to be at the camp but and i would have taken her but this is the first week of school out here yeah Yeah. and and look uh your your ex-wife my current wife uh gotta be thrilled that we're abandoning them on the first week of school look man look we're leaving tomorrow yeah. And at least I was able to take all three. I made lunches this morning. I took mm-hmm. them to school this morning. Oh, yeah. At least I got that in. At yeah. least at the very least. <laughs> I'm I've been I've been great about laundry. I've been great about grocery shopping and cooking for the last week. I'm trying to put money in the bank here because I'm gonna be in the red by the time I get back. We should send flowers tomorrow. Annie hates flowers. Great. I'll send flowers to Mandy. Great. I'll send chocolate. Send chocolate. Send chocolate. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, man. I mean, we're here. We've been talking about this ward. I mean, look, it was August of 2019 was the fantasy camp that I went to that really launched a lot of our Twitter platform and, you know, really took the podcast to a new level because it put a lot of eyes on the podcast that had not been before. It's one of our most popular episodes. It was like the Trojan horse. It's like you came into the program just sort of as uh, as another dude at fantasy camp, and then and then you left with these people, whether it be Brian Evans or Calbert Chaney or or Archie Miller, and you'd kind of already sort of planted the idea in their heads that they they needed to get on the podcast and get involved with what we were doing, and, and by God, it worked. Like a cancer, I got in <laughs> and spread, and I think that is how most people would. Uh, analogize it nope nope Nope. metaphorize it yep that's it no there's no way either (laughs) one of those can you make metaphor or analogy into a verb analogize analogize it at least well more the way i said it sounds better but i don't know if it's correct analogize sound better dude we got a good interview today We've been wanting to talk to this gentleman for a while. I mean, this dude is a heavy hitter. Shall we shall we just get to it? Yeah, let's get to it because I got packing to do. I'm sure you got packing to do. We got Hoosier Fan Fest coming up this Saturday. HoosierFantasyExperience.com. And don't forget, do not forget, go to goteenbytes.com slash IU dash fan dash fest dash 22. It runs through the 18th. You'll get two premium tickets to FanFest. You'll get a team autographed basketball. You'll get a behind-the-scenes tour of Assembly Hall. Go anywhere you want. You'll see where they get dressed. You'll see the players' lounge. You'll see the locker rooms. It'll be amazing, and you'll get a swag bag to tag. Mag. Just stop. Just yeah, stop. God, it's just not. I'm just so worked up. Nothing's going to land. Yeah. Let's. I, yeah, you agree. Let's get oh. to the interview. <laughs> Here comes a guest, here comes a guest.
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you know, so often the spotlight is right on the court, you know, and, and it's on the bench. And this guy certainly got his spotlight on the bench, too. But the, the unsung heroes that make it all happen at the collegiate level and at the professional level, nobody, nobody's been there and done it like this man. He's still doing it. Eric, who is this juggernaut of a guest we have today? First time I get to say this hailing from Teaneck, New Jersey. Like that? That's right, right? This may be the only accurate thing you guys are about to say. Yes, that is actually correct. Hailing from Teaneck, New Jersey, he decided to spend his undergraduate years at Indiana University, where he was an IU basketball manager from 1988 to 1992, came across some absolute legends on the court and obviously the guy patrolling the sidelines. After leaving Indiana University, he went with a good friend of Coach Knight's at Marquette University, where he was a staff assistant for Kevin O'Neill, followed Kevin O'Neill to Tennessee. From there, went to Vancouver, the Grizzlies, as an assistant coach under Brian Hill for three years. From there, went to become an assistant coach under Byron Scott at the New Jersey Nets, where he helped lead them to their first NBA Finals appearance in back-to-back -back years in 2002 and 2003. He moved on to become... Uh, an assistant at Boston, and then got the chance at the big chair. Seven years as the head coach of the New Jersey Nets, led them to four consecutive playoff appearances, two Atlantic Division titles. Since 2016, he has been with the Clippers. He started off as, the, uh, started off as an assistant, was then moved into the front office, where he was the EVP, executive vice president, for those of you out there, nice. of basketball operations, and just in one year said, I don't like that EVB title. I want more. And they promoted him. A little guy by the name of Balmer, I believe, promoted him. That guy did some good things in his life. Promoted him to president of basketball operations, where he remains with the Los Angeles Clippers. He was the 2019-20 Executive of the Year, which honestly, I don't know what that title is. I mean, really, what is that? I mean, it's basically a roulette wheel. Everyone gets one. Yeah, of them. yeah. I feel like every time I hear about Executive of the Year, the next year they're looking for a job. That's what I feel like I hear about that job. Yeah, we want to keep that quiet. Oh, okay, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking to a guy who was in the trenches at Indiana as a manager, and at the highest levels of the best basketball league in the world as a head coach and president of basketball operations. And also, I want to say this about the Clippers. Ward and I are out here in L.A. and have been out here since 1999 and 2000. The Clippers were always the, the second team in L.A. Everybody knows that. But since Steve Ballmer came in, since this gentleman have run this operation, they take a backseat to no one. They are as popular in L.A. as they have ever been and they are neck and neck with the Los Angeles Lakers. They have turned that franchise into a place that people want to be, like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking to none other than the Hoosiers' own, Lawrence Frank. Wow, man. I, other than the Teaneck, New Jersey, I think everything else was, we'll have to <laughs> fact check that. But uh, appreciate it. It's great, great to hang out with you guys. You as well, man. Uh, we've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. You and I got a chance to meet briefly, and we, we connected a little bit about your time at IU. But uh, before we get into the time machine and talk about the time at IU, look, you're in the middle of crazy time right now, assembling a team. Summer League is over. You know, the, the fall camp is right around the, the corner. What does your day look like right now? Yeah, well, this is the first real offseason season 
really the entire NBA has had in really three seasons, because basically we condensed three seasons into two, um, you know, obviously due to the pandemic. So this was the first time that we've had a real August. So typically, you know, the draft flows into free agency, which flows into summer league. It's just a huge whirlwind. Uh, then there's some evaluation events that we're allowed to see of some college and sometimes high school prospects that we only get three or four peaks a year at these guys. Um, and now we're transitioning where it gets a little bit quiet. Uh, you have some staff things to take care of, um, but now it's it's an opportunity to be able to kind of recharge the batteries, spend some time with your family. Uh, the intensity of the schedule isn't near of, of what it is during the other 11 months. Uh, so typically the, the way the NBA works is the last two weeks of August are usually the, the quietest weeks of the of the entire calendar um so it's an opportunity to really like i said for me my family's in new jersey so opportunity i'm in la but i'm gonna get back east and can't wait to spend some quality time with them so you're so bored right now you're doing this podcast <laughs> um you know it's kind of the same reason as you guys are going down the guest list and you're like okay we got purdue pete or lawrence frank <laughs> da, da, da. i kind of had that same checklist I'm like, ah, all right let's go <laughs> i was also thinking holy shit this guy has gotten two weeks off over the last three years and he's going to take a little bit and spend it with us yeah. that's not a great decision that is not a great decision well, it, it, I like how you frame that, but you know what? My, I, I'm really, really excited to do this, so we're going to make this a great decision for both of us. There we go. I love it. There we I go. Well, I mean, let's let's get to it then. Let's jump into the time machine. And you, sir, Lawrence Frank, I mean, let's just say it. You're, you know as much about basketball on the court and off as about anybody else on planet Earth, okay? That's where it's at. But it had to start somewhere. When... How did you fall in love with the game of basketball? Yeah, well, first, I don't know if I know anything, but the uh, as my motto is, just keep fooling them. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I love playing. And, uh, you know, growing up in Teaneck, New Jersey, Teaneck is a, a very, very unique community in that extremely diverse. It's the first community, I believe, to integrate busing in the 60s. So it was one huge melting pot six miles outside Manhattan. New York City. Uh, and so you were exposed to everything. So I love, I love basketball. Uh, and I was one of those guys that, you know, when I was nine or 10 or 11, like you put me in the park, you put me in front of the driveway, like I'm average. But then as you get into more organized ball, well, there's something called talent. And uh, that that kind of got exposed, uh, even to the point of you know, I played throughout and I was I didn't discriminate like I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a Jersey Jewish guy, but I played for both the JCC and the CYO like whoever <laughs> will take me. I'm there. But when high school child started in the ninth grade, tried out, uh, I was like that bad Hollywood actor who hears that cut like I, I heard that in ninth grade. Well, I went back out in 10th grade and kind of seemed like a repeat performance cut again. Fast forward 11th grade cut again. Uh, 12th grade, okay? Finally get there, get all the way to the last day. The coach puts his arm around me. You know, he has a look of almost like joy. And he's like, Lawrence, you have a lot of courage. Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna have to cut you again. Oh. So four years, oh. cut. Uh, so, 
But with that being said, all throughout, I, I love playing. And But when I was 12 or 13, and this has been really one of the great blessings of my life, I, I wanted to coach. And I loved everything that went into coaching, on the floor, off the floor, the player development piece, the, the psychology, the competition, the camaraderie. So my focus at a very young age, really as much as I love playing, was more towards coaching. So I would attend clinics. I There was a camp on the East Coast. Uh, ironically, Coach Knight was almost kind of like a founding father, five-star basketball camp. Sure. Um, and so I wrote a letter to Howard Garfinkel, who's the who was the owner of Five Star, and Will Klein. And basically, I wanted to be a coach trainee. So at the time, I was probably 14, 15 years old. I said, look, I'll pay my own way. They had all these giants from Coach Knight to George Raveling to Mike Fratello to Hubie Brown, you know, you, you name it. I just wanted to be a fly on the wall and take notes. That's all I wanted to do. So I don't know, I'm probably 15 or 16 at the time. I go there. I'm the first coach trainee ever. Now, literally, you guys remember the show Doogie Howser? Sure. Yeah. So I was like, I was like looking like Doogie Howser. So I'm there taking notes and like dudes didn't know if I was a spy. Players <laughs> are like, are you a student reporter? And but the coaches were so incredibly giving mm -hmm. and they would spend unlimited time with you and just picking their brain. So after the first week, Mr. Garfinkel said, hey, look, why don't you do this? Work in the canteen, work in the camp store. And instead of you paying us, we'll pay you and you'll still have an opportunity. We'll give you hours throughout the day where you can still take your notes. So I did that. Um, and it was an unbelievable basketball education. Now, unlike probably both you and Ward, I didn't grow up on IU basketball. Right. Okay. Like I didn't grow up on Quinn Buckner and Scott May and Kent Benson and then Isaiah and, and Woody and you know, Steve Green, Steve, all the guys I got to meet once I got to IU, but that that wasn't what was for me. For me, it was Coach Knight, right? So there were two coaches as I'm moving on, and now it's, you know, junior year, senior year, and you're starting to think about college. For me, it was all about basketball, and it was I wanted an opportunity to be a student manager because my goal was I wanted to be a high school coach, right? Mm -hmm. It'd be great. I mean, back there's you know, when I was young, I talked about being an NBA coach and all that to my family. But realistically, it's like I wanted to be a high school coach, but I wanted to learn from what I considered the best. So Coach Knight was, I mean, he was the guy. Um, there was Coach Smith, who I loved too. But Coach Knight was, that was the only reason I was going to Indiana. I, I mean, do you, that was it. Do you remember as a kid, I was going to ask you this because – so many of the former players that we have on, they talk about their player idols growing up. You know, oh, yeah, I love Dr. J, and I loved, you know, LeBron now has become, like, the model for so many kids these days. But obviously, Coach Knight was your, like, coaching idol. Do you remember what it was about him or when it was that, that you saw something in him that you were just like, that's my guy? Yeah, well, I think it just goes back to, I mean, just watching those teams. Like, look, that 87 championship team, that, I mean, no disrespect to Steve and Keith, and but come on, man. To win a national championship with that team is, I mean, that is that has to go down as, as if not the best, one of the best coaching jobs in, in the history of the sport. Totally. And uh, it was, 
that was unbelievable. But, but even prior, just kind of watching his teams and again, like buying his clinic tapes and just seeing how he would teach the ball, you man, defensive books with the devil. I don't know if you guys remember, like he, he I had have the one on my shelf. I have it on my shelf back there. Okay. So yeah. like the motion offense book. Uh, I mean, that was, I mean, it was unbelievable. So, but what really, really helped me even to be in a position was my junior. I remember my father telling me, Hey, look, it's great to have this dream, but what's your plan? Like, how are you going to get there? So like with five-star, one of the great things is after I spent a couple years at five-star and I told Garf, Hey, I, is there any way I can meet coach Knight? Right. So he said, yeah, sure. I'll introduce you now. The uh, I know you guys have done a bunch of these. Uh, it's not like Coach Knight is going to be overjoyed to meet some <laughs> like five foot nothing, pasty white dude from Jersey who wants to be a manager. Like it's probably not top of the list. So that introduction, despite memorable for me, was, you know, was I don't even know if there was a huh out of the hello. I mean, it was, but whatever. There was an introduction made, but my, my dad's like, okay, well, you have to write a letter and who actually coach Knight isn't probably deciding on who the manager is, who, who's going to be deciding on this. So found out, okay, there's this, there's this guy named Tim girl. And then there, the assistant coaches who was really involved, there was Dan Dockett. So wrote letters to coach Knight, to Tim and to, and to coach Dockett. And then my father's like, okay, have you heard back? Well, no dad, I, I haven't haven't heard back goes well follow it up call the office right so it really was a step-by-step -step tutorial for me of how do you go about trying to get something you really really want in the professional world you know i'd always had jobs since i was probably 11 years old but you know this was completely different so it was a very interesting decision because despite being like non-talented player here was the two decisions i had there was opportunity to interview as a manager coach night because despite following like a great plan basically it's hey look kid it's a little bit different here in indiana like people actually want this job like right. if you can't play at iu a lot of times the next best thing especially if you're from the state of indiana is to be a manager and be part of iu so it's like we have an interview process take take your chance the, on the other hand, I had the University of Delaware. They were recruiting one of our players on our team. I got to spend a lot of time with the head coach. His name was Steve Steinweidel. He actually brought me down for a recruiting visit and offered me a full scholarship to be a student coach. So oh, wow. you have a full ride to go to Delaware, and then you have this opportunity with zero promises to work for the, the greatest coach in college basketball. But there's no guarantees. And it's amazing how you sometimes have these. And since I've come to LA, I use some of these tricky words. So I'm going to use this Eureka moment, you know? Yeah, good didn't word. Know that, didn't know That's that. That's not a T neck word. That's not a T neck no, word. No, Eureka is a vacuum cleaner. But yeah. <laughs> so the, but I remember one of the jobs I used to do, I used to drive people to the airport. All right. And I remember taking these people to the airport and the guy just asked me, Hey, look, what do you think about college? And I kind of explained to him, you know, Delaware, Indiana. And he said, well, look, would you rather be a small fish in a big pond or a big fish in a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond? And for whatever reason, like, I was like, all right, I'm going to Indiana. Like for whatever reason, I was like, let's go all in. 
So um, that led to it, but it was going to Indiana, um, you know, and now going through an interview process with no guarantee. And especially, look, I, it may have been different for you guys, but my first couple of weeks at Indiana were a huge culture shock. Sure. And it was, it was tough. Like I was like, man, and it, it seemed like, and a lot of these guys have become really, really close friends of mine, but it seemed like everyone on my hall was either from the Midwest or they were from Southern Indiana. So they didn't understand me and I didn't understand them. <laughs> and, Lawrence, if, if I can just confess, yes. I don't, I don't remember my first two weeks at Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> See, you, you had it. I mean, you were out dead ass drunk every night, you know, hanging out. I, you know, I wasn't, see, I, I wasn't smart if I do remember. And this was a, one of my lowest moments at IU within the first week, you know, the dorms, you're having parties every night. What dorm and were you? Those, huh? What dorm I was were you? McNutt, uh, Delgado. Is that right? Yes. Is, hey, yeah. I'm crone, crone. I was, I was right around the corner. All right. See, uh, but it was one of those things. I remember going to like a party across the way and it was like, I was getting no action. I was like, I felt like the ultimate redhead stepchild. I was like, oh, this just, man, what am I doing? I leave the party, feel like the biggest loser, go back to bed. I'm like going to bed. It's like 11 o'clock. They're partying until four in the morning, but it gets worse. The next thing I know, and you guys can relate to this, is is I hear the fire alarm, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, oh, yeah. so it's the first, and you know, this happens once you're there enough. It happens damn near like three times a week, but it was <laughs> first time that it happened so i'm like cool well like i look my roommate's gone i'm like what the what's going on i go out in the hallway it's empty it's empty right <laughs> so i go downstairs the entire dorm is outside and here i am left in a stranded what i thought burning building and I'm like, welcome to iu loser like nobody cared let the sucker go i mean i was like let him burn let it burn man. i was like you know like ah, whatever he didn't make it so i, I want to ask wait, you the real quick hold on on that it's very yeah. important for all the undergrads listening no matter how many times that fire alarm is pulled get out because yes. i was mcnutt crone third floor fire marshal and i was over it i was over it until the one time I came back from the library and I'm in my room and I have a bearded dragon named Elvis. The alarm goes <laughs> off and I'm like, I just got back. I'm just going to deal with it. And sure enough, two doors down, my pledge brother pounds on the door. He goes, my, bro, he was from Philly. He goes, bro, huh? my room's on fire. Proceed <laughs> so to try not to get the fire extinguisher, but I've got a trash can from from the showers, and I'm trying to fill it up with water. Meanwhile, smoke <laughs> is just filling the whole hallway. I'm like, dude, we got to get out of here. We can't beat this thing. So I grab my bearded dragon, and we get out of there. Nobody could go back in for like two days. <laughs> oh, my oh, goodness. and by the way, they then found a whole bunch of weed in his room, and he got arrested. Ah, <laughs> yeah. uh, there we go. Go but figure. But Why? then Ward, but then Ward confiscated the weed. Fire marshal. Well, fire marshal. Yeah. yeah. There are some benefits of being the fire marshal. Exactly. <laughs> so I want to go back real quick, Lawrence, to your dad. Um, did he try to steer you into one direction or the other, the Delaware gig or the or the Indiana gig? Because it seems like he was giving you a lot of good advice on on following up and and like going through this professional process. But what was his role in your final decision there? 
Yeah, my dad and my parents overall, and I'll answer the question kind of within this, especially now as a, as a parent, a father, I, you know, my wife and I have a 21 year old, 19 year old. I appreciate my parents and we lost my, my dad passed away, but oh, is sorry. so, so much because like, you just think about it. Like here I am literally, I, I mean, I'm five foot nothing. And for all this time, I'm saying since I'm 12, 13, I want to coach. It would be so easy just to say like, what the fuck are you thinking? Dude, <laughs> what's plan B? Cause you got no shot at plan A. And my parents, they never, ever discourage me from my dream. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like one of the most awesome gifts they've ever given me. And just, uh, and to your point with my dad to support and, you know, he very much, you know, just like, Hey, you, it's like, whatever decision you make, you, you're good. You're going to make it right. And like, he didn't push any which way. Uh, and I have two older brothers who are always ultra supportive of it. Um, but yeah, everyone was just, they were terrific. It's just like, it's your decision. And especially if you think about financially, just the fact of the burden of what college costs, um, you would think, Hey, it'd be nice if you could help us here, you know, (laughs) uh, that paper out you've had, I don't think that's paying for (laughs) IU, you know, yeah. So, but they were, my dad, my parents were just so unbelievably supportive and and they didn't, they just say, whatever decision you want to make. So you get to IU, you're there, you're, you're running down for fire drills. Uh, when does the process start for you on going through becoming a manager and how to walk us through that, that whole process? Yeah, it, it, I would, it was within the first couple of weeks where you have that first interview and you interview at the time, I think the senior managers were like Stephen Trust, uh, Greg Burton, maybe Mike Kelly, Mike yeah. Hall. LJ Wright. I don't know. There's just, you know, as you know, there's a ton of managers. So I kind of forget who's seniors and you go through there. Then you, I think you probably get a, I don't remember, but you spend a little time with Tim, with Tim Garl. Um, and it, you know, basically I remember just talking, I was like, fuck, I hope I, you know, you have no idea how you did. Um, and, but I got word, Hey, you understand like, you know, with IU, there's going to be certain people that, you know, there's some politics in terms sure. of like involved uh, in Indiana. There's a, you know, like this is, this is a little bit more than what, you know, that made me, you're, you're thinking, I was like, and I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, what happened if I don't get, because seriously, if I wasn't getting the job, no, no disrespect. I mean, I love IU and I love my experience IU, but two weeks in, if I wasn't getting the job, I was out. Like I got to go. Cause like I was going there for one reason, you know, right. some people went there for Kelly. Some people went there to, you know, I don't know, be in the music school. I was going there for coach night and that's it, you know? So, um, anyway, uh, I was really, really fortunate. And so they, you know, and I think our, you know, and the great thing about IU is, you know, our manager class, I don't know, is maybe, you know, six, seven guys. And so we had probably like 16, 17 managers, you know, uh, maybe it was four o'clock, I forget, but yeah, we, yeah. we had a large group, but it was super competitive and I was super fortunate, but I really do go back. The only reason why I got the job, especially when I look at the other people who didn't get it and the people who did was because of doing your work early, meeting coach night at five star, making that introduction, following my dad's advice. It's like all those things, they're difference makers. And because you think about an interview, there, there's nothing I did. I, 
I, I didn't wow them in the interview. I can guarantee you that. You know, they, <laughs> they're like, oh my goodness, we got the most incompetent fuck from Jersey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we can we can relate to that. Yeah, yeah. You're speaking our language. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's why we're on this podcast yeah, together. In the right place. <laughs> no, yeah. but 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 when like I just wondered, did you at any point in that process say I'm here for Coach Knight and that's it? Because as you were relaying that to us, I'm like, well, I'd give him the job based off of that that single minded focus on why you were there. I, how could they deny you? Yeah, I, I probably didn't say that. Um, I probably should have. I, I probably should have gotten some counsel from you. That like, oh, dude, shit. this is yeah. this is what you do. Lawrence, um, I'm not sure about that. Ward hasn't had a real job in 25 years. Oh, I'm not well, sure. Eh, eh, yeah, you know, maybe maybe I, there's something to that. Yeah, yeah. that's what I used to say. Yeah. A lot of smiles over here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's you know. But Ward, seriously, I think they knew just in terms of yeah. That that's kind of without saying it, I think my actions represented the fact, but also what I had no idea is the competition because I, I really didn't have the appreciation for what Indiana basketball meant until I actually got involved with the program as a manager sure. because my peers and the guys that became dear friends of mine, players and coaches, as the guys that grew up in Indiana, that experience meant so much more to them going in what I learned through my four years of why it was such a special experience, but I didn't come with that same sort of respect as for Indiana basketball as such a, an institution and why it's, it's, it's almost like a religion. So what they say for players, right? When they get there and maybe it's more during the season, maybe it's in practice as the freshmen are getting going. There's the welcome to the big 10 moment for players where they realize they're not in high school anymore. Did you have a, a welcome to managing for Bobby Knight moment? Was there, was there some, what do you remember? Like the first time you're like, Oh, this is what I signed up for. Well, there were many, many moments and they <laughs> happened all through my four years. And even after, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think one of the things uh, that stood out one is you, when you're going there, they explained to you, Hey, look, understand similar to if, you were going through a, a military academy, you are starting at the bottom. And so freshman, here's the task, this is what you're doing. So I had a, a feel, but what I didn't know, and it was just, I, I think it was more, um, I don't know, maybe a geographical or cultural thing is, I like when I would walk by Coach Knight in the hallway, you know, coming out, hey, Coach Knight, just expecting, hey, how you doing? <laughs> no, it doesn't work like that. So uh, there was just walk right by. Ah, maybe he didn't hear me, right? So, <laughs> hey, next time. Hello, Coach Knight. So finally, one of the older marriages grabs me, and they're like, what the hell are you doing? I go, what do you mean? He goes, like, he doesn't want to speak to you. Like, don't say hello. Like, what are you talking about, man? I'm a Jersey punk. You say hello. So uh, that was the first welcome of basically, hey, schmuck, don't even fucking talk to me was basically the thing. But as you get to know Coach Knight and you get to understand of why, what his genius is, that role acceptance and humility and understanding where you're at and earning your way every day, even for a, a manager job. And I think the great thing about 
managers of the group, like we knew our place. We, we understood, you know, this is all about the players, right? And the coaches. And we were at our best when we were invisible, right? When now, the thing is, you are dealing with 18, 19, 20, 20-year-old guys who are all either in love with IU basketball or want to be coaches. So there is a little bit of, you know, attention isn't such a bad thing. So, and especially when you're a Jersey punk that's still immature, that, you know, that there's sometimes those lines get get crossed. But that was probably the, the first of, of many, many moments like that to realize, okay, this is this is different. And because you literally had to earn your way to be in a position where you'd have, you know, dialogue with coach Knight, it wasn't going to happen as a freshman. I didn't realize that. Um, but it did what it fosters is great camaraderie you have with the other managers. Cause there's, especially where we're at that life stage, it seemed like immense pressure every day to make sure we had everything perfect. And even though, we weren't doing anything that was extremely difficult in the grand scheme of things. It, the attention to detail to everything, because one thing out of place, whap, you know, it, it, and uh, it, it wasn't, it wasn't fun, but that was probably my first kind of welcome to this is different uh, moment. So let, let's go on the other side of it. We talked to a lot of coach Knight's former players and we asked them, what was the moment where you realized, or was there a moment where you realized, oh, yeah, this guy really is as good as advertised or as good as I thought, you know? And it's interesting when you talk to, you know, we've had Steve Green on several times, and Steve Green was his first recruit. So Coach Knight wasn't the Coach Knight that he was in 1989. You know, it's different. But right. you came in laser-focused on, I want to work for that guy because I want to be a coach and I want to learn from him. Were you able to, when did you start actually being able to learn from him as a coach and balance that with, you also got to get the equipment right and, you know, where things are supposed to be. You have a job to do. When did you have a moment of, wow, this guy really is special and I'm getting to see it from perspective that I never, you can't see on TV. Yeah. Well, good question. I think one is, as you guys could probably relate to, as you've gone on through your careers, one of the big wishes I wish I would have had. I wish that I would have been, instead of being 18 as a manager and with such a limited base, despite thinking that I knew something when reality, I didn't know anything. I wish I would have been 40, you know, oh. like I wish I would have had the, all those experiences that I had up to being 40 to then have a greater appreciation. Like you knew coach Knight was playing chess when everyone else was playing checkers but you didn't know exactly how or why. And sometimes you just didn't have the base to understand even the questions you should be asking. Hmm. Having said that also, when, you know, my first year was a magical year for the team. Yes, you know, we're going to get that, into that. That was, you again. You want to talk about one of the greatest coaching jobs ever? That year, yes. Joe Hillman is like the leader of the team. He's playing a three-guard line. We got to get into that. Yeah, and we'll, 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 without a doubt, because – but the thing is, what I so this one of the the GA at the time was a guy named Craig Hartman, and Craig was a manager for four years, and he the fifth year coach made him a GA. Um, so I kind of looked at him as, wow, that's that's a that'd be great. But what I realized, and maybe Craig was a senior when I was a freshman, I may be getting this mixed up, but Craig was able to take notes on note cards during practice, right? 
right? And I remember asking like the other managers, like, oh man, hey, can I do that? Like, no fucking way, dude. <laughs> like, you, you gotta wait till like, you're like a junior, a senior, like a senior. So I was like, okay, so you couldn't take notes during practice. So, and again, like all you're doing is you're, you know, you're, you're cleaning the floor, you're cleaning the backboard. You're up there in the assembly hall. There's the crow's nest, which is like all the way up filming practice. Yeah. Uh, you're taking stats during practice. You're rebounding, you're passing. So, but then you're also trying to process what you're seeing. And I, I remember, especially like if we, you know, my freshman year, that year, and obviously you think about, we, we started the year and I think it was maybe the only time in coach Knight's career in Indiana where he gave up, we Syracuse, UNC and Louis, but we gave up over a hundred points. Mm. I don't know. And I don't know if they were three consecutive games, whatever, but I just remember reading like that's never happened. Right. And <clears throat> you know, as you guys know, I mean, we, we started the year three and four yeah. and you, you didn't think we were going to be very good. And I had, again, very unique rewinding a little bit. So socially for me, however this happened. So once you're a manager, the first thing that happens is the preseason conditioning, right? And so you're there, you're out on the track, you're doing whatever Tim needs you to do. Um, but for whatever reason, some of the players kind of took me under, you know, like, you know, they looked out for me and, and they were older guys. And so, and again, for me, culturally, it was, I was used to a melting pot. And when I got to Indiana, there wasn't a melting pot on my floor. You know, it was like everyone was white on the floor and it was just different. I'm used to like a 50, 50 split. So I was, you know, very fortunate guys like, you know, Mark Robinson, you know, Jamal Meeks, yes. you know, Eric Anderson, obviously was freshman too. Lyndon Jones, Jay Edwards. I mean, those dudes were so early, very early Todd Jadlow, they were unbelievable to me early on just socially. Right. So, um, and it was interesting kind of, as they're going through things, you're getting a, a player's perspective, but also I'm listening to what the coaches are saying. Um, but I say that leading into like, we're three and four and you just didn't get a sense like that we were very good. Um, and the, you talk about Joe Hillman, you talk about a great leader. Mm -hmm. I mean, this guy, and especially as I've evolved and learned and become a head coach and now in this position, like you need truth tellers. Drew Hillman was a great truth teller. Nice. And as a college student, let alone athlete, that's hard to confront your teammates and to tell them the truth. But Joe lived it. He told it and he could take it. And he didn't care if he pissed guys off. Right. And as you guys know, Jay Edwards, one of the more talented guys to, to ever Effort. come to IU. Um, and then when coach went with the three guards and, and Lyndon and Jay and Joe, and then Brian Sloan screening, like, I mean, it was, it was, it was a thing of art, right? I mean, it was just incredible to see this team that was three and four and you'd watch practice. And like, I remember just watching, like the starters were on, were the red team. So like, I remember like, you know, cause coach Knight is the best at not allowing anyone to get comfortable, anyone. Mm -hmm. And so, and he would always, he's a master, master motivator. And I remember with Jay, like nothing rattled Jay. I mean, you guys saw how he played. Like he just like, dude, just silky smooth. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I remember like coach was trying to get at Jay and, you know, he's like, flip over, go white, you know, and get out, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I was like, nothing phases this dude, you know? 
And, you know, but like coaches, you know, but what coach knew and what I've learned along the way, and it just helped me, it's just, he's always looking to see what is the, what, what button can I push to drive the competition? Like what's going to get, and, and he didn't treat everyone the same way. And there's so many, and you guys know, because you're such IU fans, there's so many misconceptions about coach Knight. Totally. you know, like, and I've worked, like I said, like I worked for Kevin O'Neill and I remember telling coach Knight, like coach, I'm telling you, bring your IU team to one of our practices. They will have a whole, like, you know, because coach Knight didn't blow up every day. Like right. he busted it. Like he understood, like, it's a long year. Like I can only go off so many times a year. It, it right. wasn't every, and you know, Pat Knight, Pat Knight told us that, that they would have conversations about it where coach really? told him, coach told him, I can only do it three times in a season. And then one game where Pat was coaching with, with coach when he was assistant for him, it was like halftime and coach, they were down by like 20 and he was going in hot and Pat had to go catch him. He goes, it's only November. You've used two. <laughs> you can't do it, but, but you're so right. It's, it, it is such the misconception that he's just this volcano erupting all the time, but no, he, he was, there was so much more method to the madness than anybody realized. Like it was calculated in many ways. Sure. He would get upset, but he also knew, like you said, he was pushing a button. He was pushing yeah. a button and you can't push that button all the time. Right. Exactly. Right. He, I mean, he is, was a master teacher, master. And the, so when you, to answer your question, yeah. one of the first things I noticed that was completely different coach was the first that I'd ever seen of taking the whole, then breaking it down to the part and then building it back into the whole. Meaning instead of just going five on five and doing things, he'd take it. All right, we're going to break it down. One-on-one, -on -one, two on two, three on three, four on four. And then he was the first I'd ever seen that would do small sided games. Meaning we're just going to use half the floor and do three on three, half the floor to do two on two. And he would break down, you know, all the motion principles. He had his seven rules, to motion, <clears throat> And he literally would break it down. What was fascinating was, and he's the only coach, college coach I'd seen do this. I mean, even I'm fast forwarding now to my experiences here that he was so ahead of the game. Like Louisville used to switch everything. You remember they had all these six, seven, six, eight guys yep. and all coach Knight would work on leading into those practices were all the slip screens. But then we, we, we could be playing a team that's going to lock and trail those screens. He'd adjust the angle this window, but it was a master of breaking it down, building it back up, doing it on the floor, showing it to him on the board, showing it to him on film, showing the practice film, doing it again. I mean, repetition, repetition, repetition. But typically, and I'm sure we'll talk about like the next year that, that recruiting class is seven. Yeah. What you learn is it takes, and I remember asking coach about this and asking Jim Cruz who, who ran the same system in Evansville. It takes guys a good year Right. And especially like that next year, we had seven new guys, mm -hmm. five lasted, you know, that. So it takes time to develop and you need that blend in coaches system, in my opinion, of where where you have enough veteran talent that right. got it. And that's what you saw in that 88, 89 team, whatever you had, you know, a couple guys returning that that had championship experience. You had, you know, the ultra talented Jay Edwards and everyone bought into their role and as you guys know, the Big Ten back then, that was a beast. Brutal. Man. Brutal. Unbelievable. I mean, it was unreal. I know it pisses, it's why it pisses me off when I hear people talk. Warden and I talk about this all the time. 
the last few years, oh, the Big Ten is tougher than it's ever been. Are you out of your mind? Do you not remember Michigan and Illinois and Iowa in the late 80s, Ohio State. and Purdue, and Ohio State, Jim Jackson, B.J. Armstrong, Glenn Rice. I mean, it is nuts how good. And going back to um, the 87 year, the Michigan team in the 87 year was awesome. The Ohio State oh. team was good. I mean, Purdue was good. So, yes, we're, we're totally with you. That was, that was as good as the Big Ten has been. But uh, it, unbelievable. And you go back to that year, you know, that, you know, Hillman and, you know, the year that we lost Seton Hall. But think about it. We crushed Kentucky. Yes. We go to Purdue, we kick Ohio State's ass. Like, you know, it, I mean, it was awesome. And yes. especially because this is the same thing that started three and four that gave up three games of over 100 points a game in a college game. Yes. And then, and then, <laughs> with a 45 20, second shot clock. And then, yeah. then you went 20 and one. Nuts. I mean, it's it's bonkers the way that that script was was flipped. And I do wonder, there's the three guard lineup thing, which you, you're talking about coach Knight's system. But then what part of that system and that you got to see firsthand is about his his ability to adapt to what he has and to make a run through the Big Ten like that. That's almost unprecedented, except for his other great teams. Yeah. And I think that's it's a key word adapt like and he literally could adapt game by game. Um, and he, he got the team and he got everyone involved in the program, probably the entire state of Indiana. Hey, if you do what I'm telling you to do, we're going to win. Just follow <laughs> the plan. And yet with that, he also gave certain guys some freedom to play within a structure. Right. right. Um, but he also like, he got his, he took like, I mean, like, again, Brian Sloan was invaluable to that team. His greatest value was he was tough as shit, and he was an unbelievable screener. Now, fast forward, funny story. So, you know, as you guys know, the IU players and IU students enjoy themselves. They like them, like the it, it's a it's a fun school, right? Yes. So, <laughs> I, at that time, I think you know Brian Sloan and those guys. I think and maybe Oliphant. I don't know. I think they were living in Jack uh, Jackson Heights. Maybe it was either Jackson Heights or Walnut Knolls. One of the two. So I, I go in there again. I, I'm a pipsqueak freshman, but, you know, whatever. It's after a win, whatever the case may be. They have a little party. And I'm sitting on the couch drinking a beer with Jerry Sloan. Okay? Oh, may oh, rest oh. in peace. Okay? Wow. Well, it's Jerry Sloan. Okay? Wow. Now, fast forward, when I'm coaching the Nets, I'm coaching against Jerry Sloan. <laughs> and I'm going, I'm this piss-ant freshman. Like, what is going on here? But that is sensational. Yeah. Um, I want to. I want to ask you. I want to ask you about relationships with the players. But I'm. I'm going to go to kind of the flip side of the fun, just for a second, because you know, Jay's become a friend of ours. We're actually going to see Jay. We're going back to Indiana this weekend, and Jay's going to be right. at this event that we're throwing. So we're really excited to see Jay. Um, and and like you said, pound for pound, I don't think there's been anyone more talented than Jay Edwards to ever play at Indiana. There, there may have been people as talented, Isaiah, George McGinnis, obviously. But Jay's talent was crazy. But Jay had demons. And he battled those demons in high school, and he battled those demons in at Indiana, and he battled them in his professional life. And Jay would be the first to tell you that they prevented him from re, re, reaching his potential. When he, You were there for just one year with Jay. Right, yeah. But, but clearly there was stuff going on. Were you just so like getting your own feet settled that you didn't even see any of that? Or as a manager, do you see that? And is it a conflict on, 
I want these guys to know I've got their back and I'm friendly with them, but also like, this is getting a little crazy. Do I go to the coaches? Like, how do you, as the manager, I always think that the manager's in this really tough spot because you know more than the coaches a lot on what's going on with the players, but the players think of you as their friend, but you're working for the coaches. How do you balance that? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. In, in that specific instance, you know, I didn't hang with Jay enough to know what he was doing, what, you know, the, is. so I, I was I was never in a compromised position where I would right. see something like oh in, in that kind of you know how you deal with a situation like that. Um, so I didn't I heard all the stuff after the fact years after where you know these stories and who knows what's true what's not true. Sure. Uh, you know I mean I was just amazed like I said as just watching and saying man this is this is a bad dude man and he was <laughs> he was a super good guy too like yeah. uh, there was I mean Jay was. I mean, he was a super good guy uh, and, um, you know, treated everyone with respect. It, it, and it just, you know, I mean, made it, you know, look, he was freshman of the year the year before and he was Big Ten player of the year that year and decided to go pro. Um, the um, but well, yeah, so I, I, I never I never saw what was going on. Well, well why don't let, let's get to those those moments, the buzzer beaters, because as a young Indiana fan, you know, I remember the 87 championship for sure. But then as I'm really coming into my own as just being obsessed with this program, Jay's buzzer beaters against Michigan and Purdue, Purdue and Michigan. We'll forget Illinois. (laughs) Three weekends in a row, though. Yeah, incredible. But can you take us through those from your perspective? Yeah, the the Purdue one, the the Michigan one stands out the – Michigan, Illinois stand out the most. I mean, Purdue too. I mean, it just the is uh, what I still can't get in my mind is still the the where was one where he's coming to the right was that uh, he makes the you know he's going to his right makes the three at the buzzer. That's that against, Michigan, I think. We're Lyndon. We're Lyndon. Yeah. to him, and it yeah. seemed like almost impossible that he could get it off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That 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 was incredible. The the Illinois was incredible too. I mean, just like the baseline, it was like, was he out of bounds, not out of bounds, like went in and then, I mean, the, uh, and then, you know, for that direct pass to go, I mean, Nick Anderson, so freaking six. Oh man. That, now that was heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, the, um, and the produce shot just going back. I don't remember it as well, other than knowing that he, he hit it, but what was that? What, what set it up for me? Uh-oh. Do you have it Ward? Do you have the play by play? Um, no, I don't. In fact, and, and I do, I, I, I can see the Michigan and Illinois in my head, but Purdue, I know it was just, it was the one that started the run. Should I bring it up? Yeah, I, I remember it. Yeah. I just don't remember the shot. I also that. remember in that game, didn't we blow the lead? Like we had a big lead in that game, didn't we? And then they just kept coming back and it seemed like they had all the momentum and then we, and then Jay hit the shot to win the game. It's possible. You guys, you guys remember it better than I do. The, uh, well, how about, but how about this? I guess, cause this is the point in time as a Jersey boy, you, you're probably getting the impression that we Hoosiers, which you, you now have become one of us don't like Purdue. Like when, when did you start to take that on your hatred for Purdue? And by the way, you, the way you're speaking about Purdue, Pete, it seems like it's still very much a part of who you are. Yeah, well, I got to be a little bit more neutral in my job now in that, you know, the, uh, but no, nah, I think it's right. Like, it's like when you sign up for classes, I think that comes with like the curriculum, like we hate Purdue. So like, it's like, 
I think that was the first class I took was, you know, what we feel about Purdue, what we feel about Kentucky. So you're, you're indoctrinated it uh, right from the your, your first syllabus, I think. But Lawrence, growing up, did you, you know, in Teaneck, did you get to go to St. John's games, Seton Hall games? Like, were you exposed to college basketball at any level that is even comparable to what IU is in a game against Michigan or Purdue or Illinois at assembly hall. Yeah, I would, because I would go to St. John's and Seton hall games because, you know, I, I love the, you know, Chris Mullen, Walter Berry, yes. you know, before those guys, there was a guy named David Russell, but Bill Wennington uh, and then the Seton hall group, you know, cause PJ was just like taking yeah. over. And so reading about this coach coming from Wagner, building a program up, and then the thing is, look, my kind of coaching kind of guy that I really looked up to was a professional coach, Hubie Brown. Sure. Um, and, and like, you know, I went through, I would do anything to try to go to those 19 win Nick teams. I mean, yes. they're getting Ken Bannister, man. Uh, <laughs> Eddie Lee Wilkins on opening night scores 24 from Gardner Webb. But like <laughs> Hubie Brown was my guy. Um, but yeah, so to answer the question, I would. And look, I'd sneak, I'd go in and I'd sneak in and watch FDU games because they're in Teaneck. Mm. Um, and you were just trying to watch. But the the St. John's teams, like those, th- th- that was special. And the Big East was incredible. Oh, yeah. incredible. Yeah. I mean, you go back to 85, you know, Villanova, George. I mean, it, it, incredible basketball. Yeah, I mean, those are as rough and tumble, too. Is it that 30 for 30 about the Big East battles? Oh, you I haven't know, seen it. Is it good? Oh. I mean, because that's when I was growing up, too. You know, like that was formative basketball. And I hated all of them because I was such a night guy. So I always thought that like John Thompson was like the East Coast night, you know, and I would we were the Midwest night and I just never liked them. But I love Madison Square Garden. I love when St. John's would play there. I did love Lou Carnesecca. I love the sweater. So but I guess what I was trying to get to is so you get to Indiana and it's a big time game every time. And in those days, every game was sold out. I mean, every game. And it was an event every time Indiana played. Did you, did that feel normal to you? Cause you had seen that kind of stuff at those schools or did you realize something was special at Indiana? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I don't know the year if we played athletes in action, but whatever was <laughs> like the exhibition game, that was when I was like, Holy shit. Like, <laughs> it, like, I mean, come on, man, that, that, that is, there's nothing like assembly hall. And especially during the, I was so blessed during my four years there, like, but like an exhibition game, I remember like, and the thing is, it's not that it's sold out. Everyone's wearing red. Yes. Like you can't get a bunch of people from Jersey or New York to wear the same color. Like <laughs> everyone's wearing red. And then I'm like thinking like, wait a minute, the arena's in like an IU, like the, the shape, like, holy. And, and then, you know, and then to watch, you know, cause I didn't know anything. My first game, the routine, what the rhythm is, you right. know, you're just, your head spinning. Then all of a sudden it's like, it's like a Broadway show. You know, the guys come out, those candy stripe, you know, yes. doing their warmups. And then, you know, then the countdown and then here's coach night. And like yes. the crowd erupts, you know, <laughs> and everyone's standing up. And just, and then you got Chuck Crab. I yes. mean, it's just, it's incredible. Yeah. So that, that first experience, I remember there was nothing that could prepare me for it. Cause I had never been exposed to anything like it. And I was like, wow, this is really different. Awesome. What, but before we, we get to the end of this magical season, 
Uh, I do think we should take a moment to talk a little bit about Jamal Meeks. How much fun is that guy? Oh, Meeks, he's my guy. Everyone <laughs> loves Meeks, man. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, he, Meeks, he was, is terrific, man. A Freeport pretzel, you know, uh, <laughs> he was. We, we had a lot of good time for our four years. And uh, uh, yeah, Meeks, he was great, man. He could, he could take it. He could give it. Uh, he was a tough son of a gun. Uh, he, he's, I, we still stay in touch to this day. And, uh, you know yeah, where I'm, he's at now? Yeah. Yeah. He's he's with, with Mike Lewis. Yeah. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome. great? Well, his, I mean, you guys, I'm sure. I mean, his, his story, how he got totally fucked, you know, you know, yeah, and to be able to, like for him working, you know, two jobs, hanging in there to stay the course and then for King to look out for him, give him a job. And that, I mean, you just feel so good for Jamal and, you know, Jamal's a, a, a great dude. And we, we spent a lot of time together. I, look, I still think Jamal Meeksy's road ends with him coaching in some way at Indiana University. I, I, I think that that is in the future somewhere down That'd the road. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, so, like Ward said, you went three and four. You then go 20 and one. You win 13 in a row. You win eight in a row. You win the Big Ten. In your freshman year as a manager, you guys win the Big Ten with a team that no one expects to do it. You win a couple games in the NCAA tournament. You run into an awesome Seton Hall team. I mean, just an awesome Seton Hall team. Um, and then year one is over. What do you remember just about like coach Knight losing the last game of the year? Do you remember taking anything away from that year being over? Were you able to breathe a sigh of, okay, now I can catch my breath or was it just into how do we prepare for next year? Yeah. Well, I go back to this is when you're being very, very kind saying you, me, I didn't have shit to do with any fucking win Indiana had in okay. their four years. Okay. Nothing. I may have contributed to a loss somehow, but I had nothing to do with anything. And all right, fair you know, enough. Yeah. So, and but yet we as IU, but they as the team. Okay. Um, the, uh, you know, now as a freshman sophomore, you don't travel at all with the team. So that NCAA tournament run. We're just at, I, at IU. Um, even if it was a school break, we could have been off campus. Like, I, I don't quite remember the time, right. but I do. Like, we didn't travel. Um, so you were doing preparation stuff, whatever they needed. But basically, you know, you're a fan. Yeah, you, you're a fan. And then, you know, when it ends, it's crushing because, like, you, you, you pain. You, you, you're hurt because you, you want to win a championship. You're hurt for the for the staff, the players, and, you know, it just, it's, it's painful to lose. It sucks to lose. Um, the, but um, I, you know, so, and then with it is, you know, typically there's, you know, I mean, coach, like, I forget like how exactly you respond with that, with that group, but it's not there after that, you know, guys get some time and then they're back at it in terms of their conditioning and, and coach right. sets, sets the tone. And the other guy, I know we talk about Meeks, but, you know, Eric Anderson, you know, God rest his soul. I mean, yeah. but you, you talk about an impactful freshman and, you know, Biggie was such a good dude. Yeah. yeah. Everyone loved him. Uh, and, uh, but for him to have the type of impact that, that he had. So I think obviously, you know, you had guys like Joe and, and Brian, uh, you know, I mean, Mike Delos, whoever the graduating seniors yeah. and then those other guys, all right, like get ready and let alone now you got these seven new cats coming well, in with a lot of hype. Well, let's let's get into that because as a manager, 
you do get to see some of that preseason conditioning, probably even more so than the coaches do right at the beginning. And yeah, let me tell you a funny told- story about that, though. <clears throat> yeah. So please. what the guys occasionally would do, right, is the um, in September, there was the IU bus system, you know, like I forget what the IU. Sure. And so the way I forget exactly what the loop was, but they would have to run from assembly hall to the track. Okay. Right. Or they'd have to run around camp. They had to do, I forget what the route was. Well, maybe it was just this one time. Maybe. <laughs> okay. But Tim Garl is one smart son of a gun. So he got, he somehow he got wind that maybe the guys aren't always running. They're <laughs> jumping on the bus, meeting him at the track. Now, I don't know how he snipped this out. And again, maybe it was the only time it's ever happened. But Tim caught the guy. Oh, oh, oh boy. Not a good for the fellas. Yeah, the truth. Yeah, Tim was right on their ass. But the, oh. uh, yeah, so anyway, but that, that when you said preseason conditioning, I, I remembered it, it was, I think it was actually this, the front, you group. know, and those guys, that crew. Along with, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure the years kind of blend together. That's so look that group, there has never been a more hyped recruiting class in the history of Indiana university basketball. I mean, it's not, it's not even close and, and justifiably when you go back and look at the talent that was on that team, we've talked to all the guys on that team, basically the ones that stayed mostly actually, I think all of them now. And they all say the one that the thing that was the clearest for them is that when everybody did come to campus, even though he was not the highest ranked, Calbert Chaney was the best player on the floor from day one of like conditioning. Do you remember it that way? Yeah. Well, the thing is unique. And ironically, Calbert and Chris Reynolds, we became roommates that following year for the rest of my time there. So nice. um, yeah, but with, with Calbert and Calbert's story, as you guys know, is a, you know, an incredible story in terms of even being at IU and just, yes, you know, the injury. And, and how, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, there's a lot to be said. I mean, the, I think, you know, Ron Felling, uh, I think even, you know, coach's wife, I mean, like, like that Calvert is, you know, became a, a Hoosier is cool, but yeah, I mean, you could see like Calvert had like his, his ability to score, you know, from when you'd watch those games, like, oh, this dude's, he's, he, he's different. He's, yeah. he's really good. Um, yeah. And, you know, and yet, you know, you, I mean, there was, like the talent there. I mean, you guys know that group, but like Greg Graham, I mean, you know what he was able to do the way Pat Graham shot the ball, you know, Thunderbird was like incredibly, I mean, the way he ran the floor, like a deer, uh, you know, Chris laws and, you know, my guy, Chris Reynolds, just, you know, just the defense and that him and Meeks would get into it early, yes. you know, uh, mix it up. But yeah, I would say if, you know, again, I, I, I'm could be, you know, my memory, Calvert and Eric, you know, uh, Anderson, you know, kind of stood out from a talent standpoint, like, okay, these, these are the two dudes. And then you have some really talented freshmen. Yeah. Uh, we just, we just have to linger on Calvert a little bit more, you know, he's the all time favorite of mine of many. And when you, the progress you got to see him make in his time there from a guy who was so apparently talented from day one, what combination of, of what he did 
and the way Coach Knight molded him. How, how did how did you see greatness develop? How did you see somebody with just a lot of talent? Jay Edwards had a lot of talent, but Calvert Cheney was the one who graduated and is still the big time all time leading Big Ten all time leading scorer. Like how how does that happen? How does it go from seed to a full blossom? Yeah, I think it was a perfect marriage. Um, one, Cal's an everyday guy. Like like Cal's priorities coming into IU. It was ball and I'm sure to please his mom, a degree. Okay. But like Calvert was like, he worked every day and like coach and, you know, one of the geniuses of, of coach, you see this like with Greg Popovich, he coaches the best players hard, mm. hard, right. Which allows him to coach the rest of the team hard, but like, and Cal extremely coachable, like didn't like he, he responded he would take it. He, he knew coach wasn't criticizing the person. He was coaching the performance. Mm. And he he was able to, to me and like, this is why coaches is the best who's ever done it. It's, you know, for some, the definition of coaching is getting players to do what they may not always want to do in order to become the players that they want to become. Mm. Right. So like, and like, that's the genius. Like he, he, he got the most out of so many of those guys, you're not going to get everyone. No one does, but he got more than probably anyone else could. But like with Calvert, like moving off the ball and like, you saw, obviously you, you go back, you saw how he used Jay Edwards. You saw how he used Steve Alford. And now you have more size and to teach and Calvert already had great off the ball instincts, but really the way that that coach Knight could tailor his motion to be able to get him separation, get him to his spots uh, and then as Calvert continued to advance, his range started to increase. He initially was more of a mid-range shooter, you know, but then, you know, and then his off the dribble game got better. And then coach would challenge him defensively. Um, and, but Calvert for the, a guy who's the all-time leading Big Ten scorer is one of the most low maintenance, great college yeah. players I've ever run, let alone he had a 13 year NBA career. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But like, this dude is so low maintenance. He is like, and I think that's why he was so malleable and, 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 and coach could, you know, just continue to take and play him. But Cal, like he wanted, like Cal was in that gym. He was coming back at night. He was shooting every night. I mean that, you know, cause that year was it the, well, the next year Pat Knight came right. Pat and uh, Damon, but Pat like and Damon were know, next year. Yeah. Pat lived in the gym too. Calvert lived in the gym, but Cal, you know, Calvert as the best player sets an unbelievable tone. So I think it was perfect. Coach kept pushing him. He never allowed him to get comfortable. Uh, and Calvert wanted it. He was thirsty. Like this dude, like he made a lot of sacrifices to become the all-time leading Big Ten score in the sense that like socially, like that stuff was on the back burner. It, it was about ball and it was about helping IU win, becoming as the, the best player could possibly be. You know, it's funny you talked about uh, adapting and how no one that doesn't really know Coach Knight would use that word. Like, oh, he's not a guy who adapted. You know, he just did his thing, and but it's so untrue. One of the things I love about Calvert, because, you know, as a fan, I was obsessed with Calvert's career in the pros also. Just followed him every step of the way. 
and he had to adapt because he was not the player in the pros that he could be at, in college. He wasn't the go-to scorer, especially later in his career. And he adapted and became a defensive first player and extended his career. He had some good years with the Warriors at the end of his career where he was a guy 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, guarding a wing on the other team when Calvert early in his career was never thought of as like a great defensive player, but he adapted, you know, and I have to think that part of that is just what's inside Calvert, but also learning from Coach Knight. Like, you know, you do adapt to what you have and how do I, how do I succeed with the tools that I have now? Yeah, I mean, you, you you know, you either evolve or you get extinguished. You know, I mean, that like is, but like it's a great point. And, but it also, it's, you know, with Calvert because he was our primary focus that coach did unbelievable things with a lot of different screening actions to get him open. But when you come to the NBA and he came to a team where it had Chris Weber, Juan Howard, I think Rod Strickland, like Calvert wasn't the number one or number two option. So what happens is, they're not necessarily going to play to your strengths. They're going to play to the team's strengths. So the game changed for him. And so much of the NBA game is like, what can you do off the dribble? You know, and Calvert was good, but like his, his superpower his was, you know, what he could do off the ball, you know? Um, but yet to your point, like he's a great player. He adapted and figured out, okay, what do I need to do to continue to make this my livelihood? You know, can we just take a quick pause in Indiana to just ask a basketball wonky question to a guy who can answer this? I doubt so, I can answer. No, away. I bet you can. <laughs> so, you know, at Indiana Warden, I talk about this all the time. There's a huge group of people that are huge fans of Indiana, but just swear off the NBA. They don't like the NBA style of basketball. Pro basketball sucks. We love pro basketball. We always have. Love it. But I am, from a wonky basketball perspective, why is it that in college basketball, you do see over the course of the last many decades, some version of motion offense, whether it's the Princeton offense or what coach Knight runs or what Tony Bennett was running, or, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of motion that seems to be the, the recipe for success in college basketball, but clearly the NBA, like you said, it's more on the ball. It's more off the dribble. Why is it that those two systems are so different? Is it just, talent level is so much greater in the NBA. So you don't need motion. What, why, why do the games look so different? Yeah. Well, I do think you need motion, right? But the key is like the hardest thing to guard in college sometimes is the scheme is, you know, the hardest thing to guard in the NBA is the player, you know? And so now you do need, like, I think Golden State has a beautiful marriage, but Golden State plays that way because their two best offensive players are movement players, right? Like if they had, you know, some other top guy, you know, from another team, like they wouldn't, they may not play that same way. Maybe Steve would, because right. again, he, you know, he, he has a great blend between the things he experienced with Phil Jackson and, and Greg Popovich and then his own personality. But the, I would say them in Miami combine more movement than the other teams. Sure. Um, but I still think even like with us, like we had an historic two years ago when we were healthy, we had an historic offense and we weren't necessarily like a movement team, but you need to have enough movement just so the defense can't be, can't be so loaded. But is your, yet, point, your point is you have two guys in Kawhi and Paul George who just give the ball to them and who's going to stop them? But you still need you need misdirection. You need sure. to create advantages. It's just the what the downside of motion is this. It's a democratic offense to a certain extent. So your yeah. best players 
may not be getting the most shots. And there's nothing like I said. I'm one to say who's right. There's no right or wrong. You do. You play to the strengths of your team. And typically, offensively, you play around your best players. And then from a roster construction, you surround them and complement them with the right, the appropriate complementary skills to to maximize their talent. And, you know, but like in the NBA, and look, I've coached some of the best isolation players. I think is like, typically they're not great runners and, you know, in terms of transition. And if you gave them truth serum, Hey, why don't you run? They'd say, cause I don't need to, you know, like <laughs> I'm going to get the ball in the half court. Why am I going to run and exhaust myself? It's 82 games, right. you know, 110 practices. It's not like they never run, but, no, right. but yet if you go back to like the Doug Mo days, like they ran motion offense, they put up huge numbers. So um, and it's interesting though what you said about that in college, a true motion offense, which does really incorporate all five people, it is democratic. Like anybody could get the shot. Well, in college, that may work for, I mean, there's 350 teams in college. So there aren't superstars on every team. In the NBA, you don't want everybody getting the same amount of shots. Like you've got Kawhi on your team and Paul George, you want them getting the majority of the shots. Why run a system where the ball can equally be in all five hands. Right. And then the yeah. other thing, just staying along the wonky lines. One, the analytics prove this out. The earlier in the clock you get your shots, the higher the percentage. Like, really? Like if you because the defense the clock, isn't set? It, it, you, say that again? Because the defense isn't set? Is that? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So if you cut the, the shot clock in quarters, right? 24 second shot clock. Each quarter of the, the clock, your percentages go lower and lower, oh, right? Wow. So well, first, the thing first is, six seconds makes sense because that's usually yeah, a fast break. And then, and then if you go that next six, it's the second highest percentage, the third, and and then when you get down to the end, that's your lowest percentage. Wow. Um. So and that's why with it is you you need you want to encourage guy pace. You hear that a lot. Sure. Space, right? That's a you know kind of a, a buzzword in the NBA. Um. But also the hardest thing to guard in the half court is the pick and roll. And the more, what frustrates me sometimes about college is when they play the same way, regardless of their talent. Okay. So like, and again, I'm not allowed to speak about college players just because the, you know, they're draftable players, but there, there's some teams that their, their fifth best player on the team happens to be a post player, their fifth best player. And yet he's touching the ball every single time. Okay. Now, John Cheney, when he coached Temple and he had that like uh, Aaron McKee, yeah. Mark Minkin, like them dudes threw the ball inside unless it was make like Tim Perry. But if they threw it to those other guys, he was taking them out of the game. Like, <laughs> like, like, but yet there's some teams because the balance and flow, we're going to reverse the ball. We're going to stagger away. The big's going to chase the ball. We're going to give it to him every time. Like, that to me, and again, and some of these guys are so much better coaches than I ever was. So I'm not here to be be a critic, but the NBA, there's there is great intent. The other thing that the normal fan doesn't see, you may say, oh, it's just a pick and roll. What you don't see is well, on the weak side, they have the smallest guy in the weak side corner. So when the center rolls to the rim, it's a seven foot guy rolling against a six foot two guy as the low man because the NBA head coaches are so advanced. They see and understand rotations. They're constantly moving people around. So even though it's not motion, what they're doing is 
They're exploiting your rotations on the run when the opposing coach can't make an adjustment until the next mm. time out. Mm. Got it. Okay. okay. I love it. I love it. Sorry. All right. Back to Indiana. That's good. That's love good it. stuff. That's good stuff. Part two will be purely wonky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that season doesn't end great. Um, lose a couple of guys from that class. That's all right. We didn't need them anyway. Um, what there's a monster being built that started that season. And now you've got the likes of, of Damon coming in and Pat. So before we get into how you saw the monster evolving and what it really would become that next season, let's just take a moment to talk about Damon because as much as hype as the class had the year before, no player in history had the kind of hype as Damon coming in. So what was like that for you guys of like, okay, you know, what's going to be like dealing with both the, the external world that the circus that Damon brings to town with him compared to the reality of Damon showing up in practice and doing the work. Yeah. Well, it was interesting because as managers, one of our fellow managers who is, we were in the same class together. Uh, his name was Troy Bo Shears. He played at Bedford North Lawrence. So he was a couple years older than Damon. Um, and so, you know, Troy and his own, like in that Bedford North was a kind of a big deal. So I would go back to Bedford with Troy a couple times and watch Damon play. And like, I was amazed. I mean, yes. it was crazy, man. I mean, you know, look, I watched Hoosiers and I thought, and I still think it's like one of the greatest movies ever made, but like, yeah. like that movie was like, that was awesome. And then. Like when I started to go to like some of these high school games, like Beverly North, I was like, this is the real shit. Like, holy shit. That's not like Hollywood shit. This is, this is real, you know? And that's like before going to Newcastle and seeing like 10,000 people for a high school game. Yes. Uh, or Anderson, wherever that gym was in Anderson, Indiana. Yeah, I mean, and New Newcastle was the biggest one for a long time. Uh, but anyway, so going there and watching Damon play and then meeting some of the people, it was, it was awesome. I mean, it, it, it was, I mean, I had never seen anything like that. And, and look, I used to go at, when I was in high school, I'd go, the New York city Catholic league was unbelievable. Kenny Anderson, Kenny you know, Anderson. I mean, like Robert Dan, Adrian Archer, like these dudes that went on to have really, but, but like, you didn't have crowds like that, you know, like this. And it was like, Oh my goodness. So and it was great. And then obviously, you know, there was, you know, there was, you couldn't have more hype you know, for, you know, for the greatest coach in America to talk about Damon when he was in eighth grade or ninth grade, whatever the heck it was. Uh, and, but like even meeting Damon back then, what was so impressive was just how good a guy this guy was. And like, he was a high school senior and like, like just so level-headed, just good dude. Uh, and, uh, you know, Troy would, would, would tell me all these like stories about man, how great a guy this guy is. Um, and obviously look, he came in with unbelievable hype and look, Damon had a great career. Great. Yeah. Great. You know? It's, it's one of the most underrated careers because of what people expected. It's not fair. What people expected. You go back and look at his stats and what he did from freshman year, like game one, the dude was solid. He did everything well in the game of basketball, everything. Yeah. He was a Jack of all trades and, uh, you know, for Damon, you know, unfortunately it's like, you know, one, he, he was joining a, you know, one of the best teams that Indiana's had. Right. Uh, and, you know, like no one could, very few in this world could live up to 
what the expectations were. But if people just judged him, to your point, to his actual production, I think they're – and, again, I it's hard for me to say what people think or not think in terms – but he – you'd have an unbelievable appreciation for just how good a player and couple that with what – to be able to do that with all the pressure and the expectations. Yes. And, by the way, he's top 10 all-time in Indiana of scoring and top 10 all-time in assists. What else do you yeah. need to know? I mean, yeah. there's been a lot of yeah. good players oh. there. Oh, and he won all the time. Yeah, they yeah. won all, all the time. Now, the other interesting thing about that recruiting class was Pat Knight. So you bring in the most hyped player of all time in the history of college basketball, and you bring in Coach Knight's son. I mean, and we've talked to Pat about it. I just can't imagine. I'll never be able to imagine what that experience was like for Pat. I mean, it's just got to be so difficult to be in that world for his dad and who his dad was at the time. And Pat's such a great guy to hang out with. What was it like getting to know Pat and seeing that relationship of father, son, and coach and player happen at the same time? Yeah, I think the first time I met Pat was when I was a freshman and he was a senior. Uh, was he a senior or maybe he was at New Hampton Prep? But anyway, he, was, he, he wasn't in college yet, but he would come hang out. And, you know, Pat is, you know, he's, you know, Pat's such a fun shit. I mean, you know, yeah. he is, he, he's such a good dude, you know, and, and he, he has really good self-awareness. Like he, he, he gets it. He knows it. So Pat hit it off, especially like, you know, you know, with like uh, Eric Anderson and those guys, uh, the John Stuckey was a manager with us, was, was close with Pat during Love that Stuckey. time. But like, you know, early on just, you know, so Pat, and I think, look, Pat had an opportunity to, to go maybe it's, I don't know, Creighton or Colorado or, but um, I think for him, he, he saw a bigger picture, you know, that, you know, like, and he, he knew like what his job was. Um, and uh, to be able to now see Pat, you know, I see him, you know, probably seven, eight times a year on the road. Yeah. Uh, it's awesome. Just, you know, because, you know, there is no bigger advocate and aficionado and someone who's appreciative of Coach Knight than Pat. Like, the love there is just, it's awesome, man. And it's just yeah, like a father-son, you know. But, yeah, so it was like with Pat. I mean, Pat, you know, Pat worked really hard. He 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 played hard. Uh, and uh, he was, you know, he was a great dude. It, yeah, I, I'd love to trade places for him. I mean, be Pat Knight, you know. That's <laughs> pretty good, especially in Bloomington. I mean, uh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, like, he's yeah. He, Pat is such a good guy. So that team starts 16 and one crazy. That year. I mean, just off to the races. It is just an awesome, awesome team. And you tie for the big 10 championship. So I know you're not going to take credit for the wins, but you got two big 10 titles in your first three years. there. not bad. Go to the sweet 16 and lose to, I mean, look, Kansas is our nemesis. Sons Kansas, especially in that era, mm. we just couldn't figure them out. Never. We just couldn't figure them out. Sometimes due to injury, yeah. but mostly Kansas had our had our number. Um, what do you just remember from now you're a junior, you've been there a while, you're an upperclassman, you're about to go into your last yeah, year. This, I mean, this is your first tourney, right? Is this the first time you got to go? Oh, yeah, well, first even, time you traveled. Yeah, well, if you even go back to that season, right? To me, some of the highlights what I remember is it started in the offseason. Like, you knew, like Coach Knight's like, essentially, we are not having a season like we just had. I mean, I think we finished maybe seventh in the Big Ten. Like, like this is not Indiana basketball. Like, and like, I remember those guys, you know, 6 a.m. lifting, you know, in the summer. Like, 
there was there was great purpose to like and like the, like you talk about sweat equity those suckers worked they worked really hard there was a totally different feel for what the year was going to be mm. and so i mean the fact that you know that whatever we'd have you know the group had the record they had but like you knew we were going to be really special because of the work they put in and the thing is amazing and i think a lot of credit has to do with how coach Knight coaches the four years I was there, all those teams were so connected. They were so connected and you had different personalities, guys like do different things, but they generally enjoyed each other. And, you know, and I think there's a common bond, like they, like coach Knight, like coach Knight, right from the beginning of the recruiting process, like he's not going to be for everyone. But the thing, the greatness about him is he, there are some coaches that I know, like they put on a really good act during that recruiting visit. And then there you like coach, like, again, I was just a manager. Okay. Is, but like, I would observe and watch recruits come watch practice. Like coach was the same coach. He always is. You bring, he'd bring him in a locker room. Like after like coach wasn't holding back. If, if, if like, it didn't matter because he wanted those guys to know what they were signing up for. You know, both the good, the bad, the whole nine yards, you know, like this is who I am. Um, so I say that in that preparation leading up to it, you know, like you could tell, Hey, this is, this was going to be a really, really special year. And you're right. Like with Kansas, um, you know, uh, I mean the pace and the depth, uh, and you know, like, you know, Rex Walters, Adonis Jordan, I don't know if Mark Randall, maybe Mark Randall's on that team, Ulster tag, um, uh, Richard yeah. Davis, maybe, but like those dudes, they, I mean, they just, I think they, you know, they just, they just kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've had, we've had a couple, you know, unfortunate losses against those guys. Whoa. And you know, it's funny. And I'm sure like, guess I told you coach Williams had been to coach Knight's practices before Roy Williams, you know, I mean, I didn't coach know that Knight is such a giver. And, you know, and look, I mean, Coach Knight has such an unbelievable respect for the coaching fraternity because of guys like, you know, Coach Iba and yes. Coach Claire B Pete and Newell. Coach Lapsic and Coach Newell who helped him. So he helped so many coaches. And I'm pretty sure I may be wrong and it may not be, but I'd always heard, you no, know, like Coach Williams, like had, had been to IU practices and it's not uncommon. Hey, look. Even when I was done and I was graduating, I got, we, if you want to talk about how I got my first job, yeah. but the, Coach Knight used to do, the first couple practices were always the Coach Knight clinic and he used the team. Well, I, I would come back, even though I was working for another school, I was coming back to take notes. Wow. Wow. So other coaches would be there too. Right. Mm, that's incredible. So, I mean, like to get back to the real star of the story, Lawrence Frank. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Hoosiers. Do we have a mascot? Did we have a mascot? Years and years and years ago, we had the yeah, the, the so, bison, the buffalo, a bit. Yeah, I, I think that's the only reason they had me affiliate with the program. <laughs> I, they were thinking that maybe at some point they were going to bring back the, the bison <laughs> or the buffalo. Because other than that, I provided zero value. <laughs> <laughs> but let's say for your own selfish intent, you you're for this as this team be, now enters into the greatness zone, uh, are you able to start taking notes? Are you 
as a manager, like what responsibilities start to come as you as as you move up the ranks? You're no longer oh, maybe yeah. washing the the backboard as much, and you're getting to maybe work with film. What goes on? Yeah, so the, it's a really good question. So with each year, don't you, do that. Don't don't yeah. tell him he asks really good questions. Even it's when the they're not worst. good, you got to tell me that. It's the worst. Just, just feed you. You love it. I love it's it. It's the All right, worst. Hey, like wow. I told you. Coach Knight, master motivator. I had to learn a little something. You saw him. He was fading a little. You had to give him yeah. a little boost. I like, like it. When he kept on going to the neck, cut, cut, we're done. What are right. we doing here? <laughs> um, so with each year, you kind of earn your stripes a little bit more. And meaning that with each year, you get more and more interaction with the assistant coaches. Uh, and look, it, it starts with literally they give you their – their personnel report on the other team. And we used to have these big poster boards and your job was to write, you know, they, they did all the work. You were just writing their work on a big poster board. You'd put the picture of the opposing, you know, depth chart and then what they had to say. Now that job was very stressful for someone who had horrible handwriting. Like, <laughs> Okay. So like, I remember the ruler, you'd have to, I mean, the hours it would take this moron to do a relatively simple job, it was a joke. I mean, I could I can't draw a straight line now. And it's like they're like, yo, dude, are you lefty or righty? We can't tell with your handwriting, it's so bad. Uh, but then by you also during the summers, you would work Coach Knight's camp. Yeah. Right? It's another opportunity just to learn and help and be around. And you know, one of the things, and, and look, is and this is one of the the huge benefits of anyone who was part of the program during coach Knight's time, we were all riding his wave. All right. And especially as a manager where you're a very low impact, it's very, you know, like we are there, we, we're there to do our jobs, but like the benefit is if you work hard and you're loyal, you get to ride that wave and you get some of that pixie dust, whether you know what you're doing or not. Right. But the, by your, I'd say like that, Going into either my junior year or whatever, like you, you start building a, a relation. Think about the assistant coaches that were there during those four years, okay? So, you know, kind of the, you know, you had Joby Wright, Dan Dockage, Ron Felling, but you also had Don Donaher, you had Norm Ellenberger, Norm Ellenberger. you had Pete Slock, you know? Yeah. Like, and so the thing is, and these guys, like, look, your job is to make everyone else's job easier, like, and whatever that takes. I, whether that's moving their car, getting their car washed, or, hey, can you break down eight film? Like, whatever it is. And so what happens is, is you build a rapport and some trust, they would give you more and more to eat, so to speak. Mm. So, you know, it would get to a point because, you know, that was in the days, all VHS, you would, you know, like your job was to edit out the commercials, but they would start asking you questions. Now, for me, you didn't need to ask me. I probably... Would have just, hey, you know what I saw? And then, <laughs> you know, so I didn't always probably follow the the protocol. Of, <laughs> you know, like now I, I tell, like I share with our young people, you know, listen, learn, then lead. It's kind of like the ready, aim, fire. There yeah. are many times I fired and forgot that ready or aim. Okay. Right. right. Sure. You just know, blast it away. Um, the, uh, but anyway, you gain more and more. Um, but I do remember going into my senior year is, and this is sometimes wrong place, wrong time. I was working the camp and for whatever reason I was in the basketball office and like coach Knight's 
secretaries un, like unbelievable, like big backbones of the program. And there's so many people around the program that were just unbelievable. I was talking to either Marianne or BJ and then coach Knight just happened to walk in. Okay. He hands me um, this envelope, right? And a manila envelope. And he goes, bring it to Bob fee. Now, Bob fee, longtime coach Knight friend who would come back for the summer camp and like run the dorm. Okay. Okay. Bring this. I give it to coach. I give it to Mr. Fee. I'm done. Right. Like done. Okay. I'm working the store that night, Tim Knight, right. Who ran the, the store and ran a lot of coaches, you know, uh, kind of private, you know, uh, businesses said, Hey, uh, coach Knight's on the phone and he is really, really, really angry. I'm going like, what, you know, like, what did I do? Oh man, he went off on me. I mean, what did you do? What did you do? I gave you one simple job. All you had to do is take this envelope and give it to Bob Fee. <laughs> That's all you had to do. And there may have been some other colorful words. Sure. And, and I'm, I'm not the brightest bulb, okay? Most people would just, just shut up, right? Well, I'm like, wait, wait, no, 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 coach. I, I, I took the envelope and I gave it to Mr. Fee. Bad answer. No. <laughs> A lot of, you know, so anyway, I share this story word in that that was going into my coach and I did not like talk to me for two months. Like, wow. But, but let me tell you, fast forward. Okay. Years later. I get a call from, it was Tim Knight with coach. And he said, Hey, coach Knight was being inducted into the West point hall of fame. And then the next day he was invited to, uh, to attend the last game played at old Yankee stadium. Wow. And he invited me right at the Yankee game. Who do I sit next to? Bob. Bob <laughs> yes. And I give you the envelope. <laughs> Bob Fee, you son of a bitch. No, and Bob Fee's such a good guy. And he was an East Coast guy. I love Bob Fee. Did you did I you look, bring it up? Did you bring it up? I brought up the story. Yeah. I didn't say, hey, dude, did you like what'd you do with that envelope? What happened there? Yeah. You know, because look, if you're playing the odds game, I probably fucked it up. But in my mind, all literally I did it. And to make matters worse, it was a plane ticket for a camper who needed to fly out that night Ooh. to make matters worse. That guy's father was a professional golfer. So anyway, <laughs> not the met. So, but anyway, going into senior year coach night, not real pleased with <laughs> yours truly. Well, See, I, I think that would like crush me. I think that would be like, especially as a senior manager, this is your time to shine and interact yeah. with him the most. Was that tough for you or had you been around him enough? You were like, ah, he'll get over it. it I think it, it, it impacts you, but I'm a little bit of a sadist, you know, yeah. like the is, but yeah, no, it, it does. But what it does, it goes back to, again, manager, we're small, small potatoes but he keeps everyone on edge. So right. what it does is, you know what? I got to tighten up my shit. Like, even though in all seriousness, I, I did think I delivered the envelope. <laughs> like, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like trying to draw a straight line. This was easier. Okay. Right, I can right, handle, right. you know, so, 
but it does keep you like, look, you got to be on top of your shit. Like, you know, like you don't want to be in coach Knight's crosshairs. Uh, so it's like, you gotta be better. And even, and it's no different than what coach Knight would do to a player. Even I'm sure as many of these things have you done, if you talk to the players, there are many times that coach Knight would hold a teammate accountable for another teammate's performance. Yes. This is on you to make sure this guy's right tomorrow. And listen, the great kind of spectator seat I had, I live with the players. Okay. So I would hear and see what they would do. And then I also hear and see what the coaches would do. So when like he would tell a player, Hey, you're responsible for so-and-so like I would see the guy at 10 o'clock at night, be like, dude, everyone out, you're going to bed. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like it was like cause and effect. And it was, it was for me, it's just a guy who wanted to become a coach, but really not knowing anything to be able to just observe like, okay, like, you know, like these are lessons. Like I still remember today. So that moment, the Bob fee moment had to have been, at least I'm hoping it was your lowest moment with coach Knight that led to like a two month break in the relationship. <laughs> what was the best moment at Indiana? Oh, I've had so many unbelievable. See, the thing about it is coach is the, all time, as as we say in Jersey, no one bust balls like Coach Knight. Right. I mean, so the thing with it is, you gotta understand, for the first, I don't know, until maybe the end of the freshman year, like, Coach didn't even acknowledge me, you know? Right. That felt worse, you know? <laughs> like, I'm not into the invisible thing, you know? Uh, and it's ironic, because now, like, in, with, in Clipperland, the way that we run things here is, I don't even call us the front office. We're the back office. Like you will not hear from me. The only reason I'm doing this podcast is because of IU and coach Knight. I don't very, I do very little because right. my whole thing is we keep the focus on the players. Okay. So I don't want anything that I say or do take anything away, but because of my love for what coach Knight's meant for me, because look, I'm not here talking to you guys. If it's not for coach Knight. Every single opportunity I've received, I always think about Coach Knight. Wow. And I'll tell you why. But the but yeah, I've had, you know, like Coach Knight, he I mean, he loved busting my balls, you know. So yeah. from the time, like the first thing I think he said to me as a freshman. So you remember Indiana, everyone wore those those striped socks, the red and white striped socks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For some stupid ass reason. I I had to wear these short socks, you know, like they had these anklet socks, you know, back then, you uh-huh. know, you know, and I don't know why I wore them, you know? So he, he goes and he Jersey short pimp. So that's what he called me. <laughs> Jersey short pimp, you know? So, you know, so that, that started there, but. Uh, but you liked that, that, right? Cause that it was, that's like a little I bit of a term it, yeah. of endearment. Like he, I, he's noticing this, you. Yeah. And I'm used to ball busting, you know, now, the other guys are like, dude, this is not a good thing. Like, this is not a good thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought it was funny, you know? Um, <laughs> so, but just shows you, you know, when sometimes you're so oblivious, it could be a, a superpower, you know? Right, right. <laughs> so I, this was coming up another one, maybe junior year, senior, I'm not sure. But he goes, uh, people call me L, letter L, okay? The, probably because I couldn't spell Lawrence, right? Wait, that's, and, what your fr- that's what your friends call you? 
And most most people call me L, L Frank, whatever. Can, you know? can we call you L? Do we get the chance? You can call me whatever you want. Trust me. Because I've been called so many other names that I'm not sharing <laughs> with you. But yeah. We can call you, what was it? North Shore Pimp? What is it? Uh, uh, Jersey, Jersey Shore, Shore Pimp. Jersey Shore Pimp? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so he said, hey. He goes, uh, I'm, uh, I, I'm turning 50 tonight. I think it was 50, whatever it was. It was big birthday. He goes, how would you like to come to the party? Mm. I'm like, wait. Holy shit, Coach Knights invite me? Like, this has to be a goof. You know, <laughs> I was born at night, not last night, right? So I go back to a bunch of other managers and I go, hey, you guys get this invitation to Coach Knights party? Like, no, what are you talking about? Like, and one guy's like, yeah, I heard something about it. Everyone else, like, no idea. So I'm thinking, wow, I mean, this is pretty special, right? Yeah. So, all right, all right, what time you need me there? I get there freaking 45 minutes early than whatever the time he said. I'm so fired up, right? Ring the doorbell. Coach answers the door. Here, he goes, all right, you're parking the cars. <laughs> <laughs> that was the ballet boy! <laughs> the I think I did it with one other manager. I think it was Marty Polio. But <laughs> the is, and so, but the great thing is, you know, a lot of the people that are coming up were people who were around the program. So they'd see me like, hey, you're not parking the car. You know, you're not parking the car. <laughs> but yeah, but that was, it, that was a great kind of ball busting move. Oh, I um, love it. But before we yeah. get into that season, be, because I don't want to forget that you said you think of Coach Knight every time you have a new opportunity and you tell us why that was. So let's let's hit on that. Okay, so... Fast forward, if you want to talk about that season of the team, we can. Yeah, but we'll go back to it. Season's over, okay? During that year, so the graduate assistant position had been eliminated from NCAA basketball, okay? So for me is my major, I was major in education at IU, um, and I my goal was I did my student teaching during that second semester. Mike, I was I was wanted to be a high school coach and teacher. Okay, wait, but wait, where'd you teach? Where'd you student teach? Edgewood High School. And let me tell you something. This is unbelievable. So Edgewood High School, one of my students, okay, Mark Schlesinger, okay, his mom was an usher at IU, got to know her really, really well. So Mark Schlesinger kind of stayed in touch with him. When I became an assistant coach at like Marquette and then Tennessee, at Tennessee, I brought him on to work our camp. Mm. Mark Schlesinger is the head coach of the University of New Orleans. You know, wow. so that's but, awesome. That yeah, is awesome. So, but Edgewood, let me tell you something. It was an unbelievable experience. My, the teacher, this guy's name was Mick Hoover. It was great. Like literally he gave me the keys from day one and I didn't see him until like, I saw him in the teacher's lounge. That's right. <laughs> but it's like, I'm like, dude, are you sure you want to leave me in charge? Right, you know, right, right. History, sociology. It was the first time in, in, in that high school's curriculum where they spent three weeks in sociology watching the movie Trading Places. Trading Places. <laughs> I thought it'd be a great movie to watch. Great sociological experiment. Yeah, Yeah. more to more. I mean, come on, man. There's a lot yeah. of stuff going on. So, well, anyway, so during that year, though, I'd worked, as I was trying to read, I wrote to so many college coaches just saying, hey, look, volunteer, do anything. Like my, kind of the, the ultimate would be I know there's no graduate assistant, but like, can I get involved in a college D1 program? Okay. So like the assistant coaches were helping me. 
Um, you know, like Dan Dockage was unbelievable because, you know, he knew a lot of coaches that, and so he was helping me. I'd write letters, follow it up. So anyway, season ends. Um, the, you know, unfortunately, you know, we lose in the final four, it's a couple of weeks after the season. Cause the refs hosed all- us. Cause the refs hosed us. Let's not yeah, forget. Exactly. Yeah. 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 We, they, they, they didn't help. Um, what do we have? Three guys fell out, four guys no, fell out, four, whatever. Four guys. Oh, and four. Oh, the four best guys, the four yeah, best guys. But, you know, it's happenstance. Um, so <laughs> yeah. anyway, I scheduled a meeting. All I wanted to do is say thank you to Coach Knight. The one thing that I took great deal of pride in is I never wanted to ask Coach Knight for anything. You know, like to me is he gave me, just letting me be involved was the greatest gift. I was not going to ask him for anything. Okay. Schedule the time. All I wanted to do is just say thank you. Okay. So schedule time, 8 a.m. Boom, boom, boom. Sit there. It's 8 30, 8 45, 9 o'clock. Uh, Marianne's like, hey, you coach is busy. No. All right. Just so you're not going on forever on this podcast. I go many, many days in a row with very similar responses. Okay. So I'm waiting, waiting. All right, keep I'm keep coming back. All right. So I come finally after, you know, waiting multiple times to try to get an opportunity to sit with him, get in there. He's sitting at the desk and coach Knight very rarely, you know, he spent a lot of his time in the cave down by the floor where he watched film, the coach's locker room, his desk and sitting there, sitting across from him. And he goes, uh, what do you want? And uh, I said, Hey coach, I just wanted to say, thank you. It was unbelievable experience, best experience of my life. I just wanted to say, thank you. And he goes, well, you have a long time before you're the next James fucking Naismith. Okay. (laughs) So, okay. All right. Uh, Okay. Got it. So, uh, the, uh, leave. Okay. So that, that didn't go exactly as, as planned, but here is, here is why this man is so unbelievable. Fast forward. Okay. So, I get hired in Marquette by Kevin O'Neill, sight, sight unseen, okay? Wow. Dan Dockage had a relationship with Coach Knight, okay? I talked to Kevin a couple times on the phone. He hired me. He had never seen me before he offered me a job, mm. okay? So I'm now three months into the job with Kevin. We're at the dinner, having a couple of drinks one night, and he goes, do you know why the fuck I hired you? And I said, well, just because my affiliation with the Indiana program, like you just, you know, figured, hey, like, I must have absorbed something. And he's like, no. He goes, Coach Knight called me. And he said, if you don't hire this guy, it'd be the worst fucking decision in your life. Wow. To this day, he's never told me that. Mm. But let me tell you something. That's such a big part of Coach Knight. He does so many good things for so many people. And he doesn't do it for the credit. He doesn't even share it with the people. You know, when you heard that from Coach O'Neill, what did that do to you? I mean, that oh, had to I mean, fill just, you with. Oh, yeah, I mean, just like, you know, I mean, it's, you know, look, you're on cloud nine. I mean, you know, the guy that you put on the ultimate pedestal did that. And, you know, like I said, it was it's a it's a it's these things that stay with you. And that's why I say I got hired sight unseen. OK, there were people a whole lot better than me, a whole lot more qualified. And yet I got a job and that entry and then was fortunate to be able to continue. And so that's why like with every job it started because look, let's say I didn't get that job. Let's say I'm coaching high school and look, some of the best coaches I know are high school coaches, but 
my path would be different. So like literally with every opportunity, I always reflect on coach Knight because Marquette led to Tennessee, Tennessee led to the Vancouver Grizzlies, Vancouver led to New Jersey, then became the head coach in New Jersey, you know, then boss, but like, it's all, it's, you know, it's that movie sliding doors, man. Like, boom. Yeah. What? Like, so like for coach Knight, that's why, you know, it's life changing the experience, you know, going there. And that's why, like, let's say I would have went to Delaware. I mean, who, you know what I'm saying? Like right. it's, and that's why you, you have to be not to be preachy, but I'm just so grateful for the, the different opportunities I've had, even the failures I've, I've had, like, you know, but like, but it goes back to coach Knight. And then I've had like little other highlights with coach in now, because I'm still his manager, right? You know, I'm just older. I'm, I, you know how I said I wish I was 40. I may yeah. take that back, you know. But like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I remember one of the funniest things ever. If I'm jumping all over the place, you can no, I love it, love right. it. Go. Is he's at Texas Tech? I'm I'm the head coach of the New Jersey Nets. He calls me as a player because Sid Power, right? I remember. And him. he goes, "Hey, um, Kip, because Sid, ironically, was also from Teaneck, New Jersey. Okay. Wow. Hmm. He goes, look, um. You need to work this kid out. Okay. He calls me. You need to work this kid out. Okay. All right. I got Jason Kidd. I got Kenya Martin. I got Vince Carter, Richard Jefferson. No, no, no. But I got to work out because Sid Powell. <laughs> okay. Well, fuck. You know what I did? I worked out because Sid Powell. Okay. <laughs> so I worked to Sid out myself. You know, a lot of times in the NBA, your assistants are doing a lot of this. Okay. Right. No, this is my project. Okay. <laughs> Three weeks. Okay. All of a sudden, Kasib, he didn't show up. Okay, like, all right, like, you're done. Next thing I hear is Kasib Powell's playing summer league with the Miami Heat. Okay, all right, whatever. Like, I, I'm good. Like, all right, fine, you know? So now summer league happens. That's in July. In August, I get a call from Coach Knight. Well, what the hell are you going to do with Kasib? <laughs> what? But, uh, Coach, Kasib Powell just left. He went to Miami. Well, it may not work out there. You got to get him a job. <laughs> and um, the, uh, I'm going, okay. God, like, you have an agent, you know? <laughs> yeah, like there's a, there's um, a protocol here. Yeah, but anyway, and then he, I was like, he goes, well, what, what about your roster? I was like, we, we've already got 15 guaranteed contracts. Well, why the hell would you do that? That's stupid. <laughs> well, Coach, that's, I'm, I'm the coach. You know, you can talk to Rod Thorne. Uh, so, but anyway, but again, fast forward, years later, he goes, hey, I really appreciate what you did for Kasim. He doesn't forget, you know. Wow. Um, the, and that's, you know, and, and that's, you know, that there are many, many stories like that. I mean, another one that's crazy is uh, Kirk Haston, right? Yeah. Kirk Haston wanted to be a Tennessee volunteer. Okay. Okay. Is what happened was we had Kirk, Kirk would come up to our camps, right? Um, he played single A, unbelievable high school program. They went undefeated his senior year. Great high school coach, Bruce Latin. So Kirk's coming up. And at that time, we started to have it. We were getting McDonald's All Americans at Tennessee. So Kirk, Kevin O'Neill, unbelievable guy to work for. Kirk tells Kevin, hey, like, I'm thinking I'd like to come to Tennessee, you know, like to commit. And Kevin's like, hey, Kirk, like, I don't think we have room for you, you know. So 
what Kevin targets like, hey, what do we do? Because we did have a deep. He told Coach Knight, hey, we got a really, really good player here, right? We can't take him. You guys should, you guys should look at him. And I remember Coach Knight calling me. He goes, hey, what the hell's going on? Like, what, what, what's the deal? I'm like, hey, this kid's really, really good. And of course, like Coach sees him. I think he, he may even went to the game maybe with Karen, with his wife. And uh, I remember him saying, like, how fucking stupid are you? How would you not take this kid? <laughs> you know? <laughs> he was right. You know? He was right. Yeah. He was right. Oh, man. All right. Well, listen. There's no way we're going to get to your NBA stuff tonight. So we're going to, uh, we're, just to say, we're going to do, no, we're going to do a part two with you at some point, maybe next August, next time you get a break, but let's touch on this senior year because sure. it is one of that year is so etched into my memory because of the way it's really the UCLA arc is, is just such a story for me about how a team can look so different in November and March. I mean, it, it was just flabbergasting. So this is your senior year. Uh, this team is clicking on all cylinders. Damon is now a sophomore. Calbert is, you know, one or two best player in the country. Gray Graham is coming into his own. And you bring in one of the best high school players in the country in Allen Henderson, who can just do everything at six foot 10, you know, just awesome. And your first game of the year is UCLA. It is blue blood versus blue blood, and they wax us. Yeah, yeah. They what do you remember out. from just that, the, the the way that season started? Yeah, that wasn't good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you did not like losing at Indiana. Yeah, right. losing, losing. Um, you, 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 you love to win, but you, you really, really hate to lose because <laughs> those were hell, man. Yeah, I mean. You know, that season was kind of nuts, right? In a sense, how we started, how we ended the Big Ten season, mm -hmm. and then, you know, the craziness, you know, just, you know, I mean, you know, coach took away the captaincy from 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 Eric and, and Jamal yeah. and, and for Eric to be like the most astounded. I mean, crazy, right? So, but that, you know, the justice is then what we did to UCLA, you know, yes. in Albuquerque, and then, you know, I mean, that was, that was awesome. And now, again, as a senior, I still didn't know shit, but I knew a little bit more than what I knew my junior year. You're gaining more and more appreciation for the genius, you know, yeah. for the preparation, for, you know, what the, you're understanding the why behind what he's doing. And like, you know, watching him go from a practice to a walkthrough to a pregame, seeing the whole process, it was off the charts because like he literally was predicting what was going to happen. And like during the NCAA tournament run, it was like, I remember he would put 20 on the board and he would did it. You, well, you guys can do the math for me. You have to win what six games to win a championship. Yep. So he had, you know, he had 12 twenties, you know, each half, we're just going to take it a half at a time, oh, but like wow. the, the way, and he'd cross it off each time. And, but then the, the way, like he said, like how we're going to attack UCLA and then like the game plan against LSU let yes. Shaq get everything. Mm -hmm. Let him get it all. And Shaq did. He took it all. all <laughs> he, of it. he took it all. all of it. Hey, let me tell you something. Listen, Shaq, it, it's something with me, okay? Because fast forward, when I'm head coach in Nets, I always did hack a Shaq. Always. <laughs> and that son of a gun made him in New Jersey. <laughs> Only time he makes him. So I'm the curse because he went 12 for 12 or something like yeah. that again. Oh, us. Nuts. I 
I did a TV show with Shaq about four years ago now, I think it was, maybe four or five years ago. And I, I've run into Shaq once or twice, but never like a time to where we could sit down and talk. And this we could. And I had to talk to him about this Indiana UC, LSU game. Right. So what I went say? up to him and I said, uh, hey, uh, before we get into what we got to do here, you know we kicked your ass back in 92 in that NCAA tournament game, right? And he goes, Dale Brown took my ass out. He should have left me in the game. We never would have lost to you. <laughs> I go, you were tired. You were gassed. You couldn't do it. He goes, but I made my free throws that game. That's what he said. <laughs> he did. Well, he had like 36 and 22. It's crazy. Oh, he was – Matt Nova regarded him one-on-one the whole game. Yeah. No double team. No double no. team ever. Take care of everyone else. The the thing was interesting. I think it was it was prior to me getting there. But IU played LSU prior, right? And then the that's the famous. Right? Is that the, the when was it? 87? 87, 87 in the Elite Eight game. The Dale. And they asked Coach Knight, hey, were you concerned at all, right? And he goes, I was a little bit concerned. But then I looked down the sideline and I saw who was coaching the team and I felt really good. Something like that. <laughs> it's the best quote ever. It is so – he was on a run in that 87 t- uh, tournament. He had that, and then he had an, a post-game interview, I think after the UNLV game, where right. you know Knight decided to just run with UNLV and run him out of right. the gym. And Packer said, that was a real thinking man's game out there. And Knight said, I'm surprised you could follow it. <laughs> <laughs> live on TV, live without missing a beat. I mean, it was the best. So let anyway, me, wait, let's wait, go back on. to UCLA. Yeah, UCLA, because when you talk about the tale of two different games, and I, I wonder from your perspective, from you, you, you seeing the preparation, how much of that extremely different result in the tournament with the final four on the line, how much was it about how the team had evolved through the season compared to how much it was of Coach Knight realizing what had happened in the first game and making strategic adjustments combination of both. I mean, I think our guys, I mean, it's hard for me to speak for them, but just what I remember, there was no way we were losing the UCLA. Not again, <laughs> not again, because they like, there's like no way, you know, and then coach Knight, And I think I could be wrong. And this could be, maybe I'm telling a tall tale, but I'm pretty sure at halftime of that game, coach Knight right before halftime told, Hey, he said, we are sprinting up like in Albuquerque, right? It is, it it seems like it's six miles, right? The pit. And it's like an incline of like 25. And (laughs) I'm pretty sure like, like he's like, it's mental warfare here. We're sprinting up there. You know, I could be wrong, but I've heard that from several people. The players say that too, you know? So, but the, um, but yeah, coach. Yeah. That, I mean, but it's like, I remember being in that ballroom, Prior, the day before the LSU game, when he was going through the game plan, he gave me so much confidence that we were going to beat him. Like, like, like he, the buy-in, you know, the buy-in leads, leads into believing and like what he did, how he broke it down. Masterclass, masterclass. It was, it was unbelievable. Uh, I always take this time to talk about this player because while Calbert is everybody's favorite player of all time, cause he's Calbert there was something very special to me about Greg Graham. I just loved his athleticism and the way that he played the game. What, what was, what was Greg like? What, what was he like as a guy? Terrific dude. Very, very talented. You know, it, one of those guys like, you know, if Calvert wasn't on the team, like 
Greg then I think would play a more prominent role. He'd fill that void, had that type of talent. Um, the uh, just his versatility, his yeah. athleticism, uh, his ability to go on like streak scores, um, you know, excellent teammate. And the great thing is like, he bought in, like even, you know, like, and, and all those guys did and just super good, super good team. And all those, I mean, that was the thing that was, that group really grew together. Obviously I wasn't there the following year, but you know, like, you know, like to me that, you know, that if Allen doesn't get hurt, they win the championship. Well, there's no doubt that that era forget. I know that we didn't win a championship, but those were the best collection of Indiana teams outside of the 75, 76 teams. I mean, they were, I know the 81 team was amazing in the 80 team. They won a title 87, obviously won a title, but that era, you know, to, to those teams and what they did in the big 10 and they went to the final four against Duke, those teams were fucking loaded. I mean, and just everybody seemed to fill every role. It just yeah, seemed no, like was, the perfect team. And let me, let me tell you something. One of the greatest human beings in my life to this day is Chris Reynolds. Yeah. This, let me tell you something. Living with him and Calvert taught me so much about life, mm -hmm. life. Like to this day, I mean, Chris Reynolds, like this guy, you talk about character, like unbelievable. Like, you know, like, and what for where he's come from Peoria to, you know, like, a JD, PhD, vice president, athletic director of the year. Like, but like, you understand, like he had no money. He had no money. I still remember this day. We're sitting there in the kitchen. Now, no money to him is different than no money to me. I grew up in a middle-class family. I just didn't have money at that time, that day. Right. I was like, I got nothing. And he's like, hey, look, I got $20. And I go, well, he goes, no, like literally, like I have $20 and that's it. He goes, I want you to have it. Like you talk about like selfless, like just a lesson, like, wow. no, 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 I'm not taking your money. But the fact that this guy would give me the lat, like those things stick, you know? And, but it talks about just the character of the team we had. Yes. Like guys don't buy into roles unless they're really high character people. And that's what coach did. Plus think about those teams from a skill set those were skilled basketball players yes they could pass shoot and dribble you know i mean mm. todd leary i mean like just you know like i mean all, like all those guys Pat, greg yeah, game yeah. Like, oh. Graham was one of the best shooters that that's played you know for at iu i mean if, if it wasn't for the foot injuries who knows but totally. my point is coach had a profile a skill set right they recruited to his system Right. And understand the ability is, yeah, like you got to be able to pass, dribble and shoot. You have to be mentally tough and you have to be high IQ. Like that's the profile of an IU basketball player. Hmm. And how much okay. did you see Coach Knight developing those skills behind the scene? Because obviously he's seeing, if not them already developed coming out of high school, the potential to be. But did you pick up some some tricks and some tips on how he he got the most out of skills, which seems to be lacking a lot these days, especially shooting at Indiana University? <laughs> I can't comment on anything that's going on. Right. Uh, other than I am very encouraged about the direction we're going just as a observer of basketball. Yes. Um, the um, well, the thing is, this: I think, look, it starts with selection. OK, it, it's hard to turn non shooters into shooters now. Shooting is the one skill, ironically, that does show the biggest improvement at the NBA level because you just have all the time and all the reps, okay? 
but the skill development work that coach and the assistants did, it was an everyday deal. But look, you have to start to me, you have to get guys who love the game. Cause if you love the game, you're going to work at your game. Mm-hmm. And those guys have a tendency to become as good as they can possibly be. Right. But one is all those guys, they were good enough talent wise. Like that's the first question, regardless of the character, are they good enough? They were all good enough. And then continue to, you know, to develop their skills and then mentally and physically, like I said, coach took them to places that they couldn't go on their own. And that's, that's the essence of, of why you need a coach. You know, I can't go there alone. How am I going to get there? I need you. All right. We're going to let you go, but we always ask people that spend time in Bloomington, a few Bloomington centric questions. What was your favorite place to eat at Bloomington? All right. Favorite place to eat our favorite place that I wish I could afford to eat at. Let's do both. Let's do both. All right. All right. So I'm going to answer the question in three parts. Okay. Okay. The favorite place that I had an opportunity to eat there once or twice, that was the best meal I ever had in Bloomington was at Little Zagreb's. Yes. That's the correct answer. What'd you have? What did you have there? Was it a steak? Oh, steak. Yeah. yeah. Steaks. Yeah. Um, You've ordered some weird stuff there. (laughs) Well, you know, you know, I don't know what, what could be weird there. I mean, you I know, know, I know. Have you have you ever seen the size of a cheeseburger at Little Zagreb's? It's the biggest I, cheeseburger you've ever really? seen. Really, oh, I can yeah. imagine because I remember seeing those big, big steaks. Yeah, but look, uh, in fairness, I have never eaten a cheeseburger. No, that that was Angelo Pizza. Yeah, that was Angelo <laughs> oh, Pizza. Okay. Gotcha. But I did eat a flaming kebab. Oh, flaming kebab! There you go. Ordered for the table, but somehow he ate it all himself. I like doing a community dish, right? Exactly. I'm I'm all for it. Add extras. Let's go. Yes. Yeah. The then the place we ate most often that remind me a little bit of a Jersey diner was big the Big Wheel, which I loved the Big Wheel. Yeah, the Big Wheel was off the charts. And then the place that to me that was a like to me it was like a high level meal at the time. It was by the mall was Mustards. I don't know if it's still oh, there. Yeah, I remember Mustards. You know, Mustards so, is, Mustards is, I have a great childhood memory from Mustards. It was 1987, actually, 1987. My parents, we live, we grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. My dad grew up in Gary, Indiana. So that's my connection to Indiana. My mom went to IU too. We drove from St. Louis to Indiana to see senior night, to see Steve Alford's last game at Assembly Hall. Mm. We beat Ohio State. But the only way that we win the Big Ten that year, which is, if you remember at that time, Steve and his group would have been the only seniors not to win a Big Ten title under Knight. So it was so big for them to win. Purdue had to lose that day. And we went to Mustards and found out that Purdue lost at Michigan. At Mustards, the place erupts. And so Mustards, I always, I was so sad when it closed because it meant something to me, Mustards. I loved it. Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So once you were of a legal drinking age, what was your favorite place to go drinking in Bloomington? All right. Well, the twofold. So the I I was member of fraternity, which coincidentally, the only reason that happened was because of a couple of the players. Like early on when like freshmen and touting around, like they'd take me around to and so one of the fraternities, because of them, like, they're like, hey, you want to try? Yeah, fuck yeah. You were going to haze me? No. I, like, understand. I have no, like, I'm all in with basketball. I don't have to do shit. No, you do very little, you know. What anyway, fraternity? Uh, Lambda Chi Alpha. Brother. You 
Brother. Are you? Brother. Ayo. Hey, I wish I remember. What's the handshake? Oh, oh, shit. I don't remember that either. Neither do I. <laughs> what, what's your I AO? AO1710. I, I got to check it out. I think it was, I got to ask. Uh, my fraternity brothers will know. I I was, again, I, I, I have, you know, lifelong friends from there, but they were so good to me. I mean, like, they took care of me in such a great way. And, I, and yeah, it's as so, a fellow wait. tribesman of the Jewish people, though, I let me tell you, say funny I'm story. Little, I'm a little upset you didn't go with the Jewish no, friends. Let me tell you, you know what the brethren used to call me? How could you join Lambda Christ Alpha? What are you doing? <laughs> but let me tell you, crazy thing is, Jersey Jew, right? They yes. bring me, they go, hey, we had a guy, he graduated also from Jersey. You know, you guys have some similarities. Okay, you know who that guy was? Brett Yormark, who, I'm yes. the head coach of Nets, we hired Brett as the president. Oh, and no, now he's man. the commissioner of the Big 12. Commissioner Big 12, and we're both part of the board that he helped start with IU Kelly School. We do this sports management thing where he asked me to be one of, you know, many on the on the board, but like small world, you know? That's awesome. Anyway. Was it AO? Yeah, Alpha Omicron. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. I, I did yeah. not know that. This it is, is AO, but I'll have to ask the guy. I got a bunch of dudes that were on a group text. We're always, you know, these, you know, a bunch by, of Cincinnati by the way, guys. Wait, wait. Are you are you like the guys from around my time where we're mostly getting on there and like bitching about IU sports? Oh, that's what these guys do all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But sure. I would say when going out, it was Kilroy's. Uh, and then as I got a little bit older, sometimes would would go to Nick's. Sure. Uh, but Kilroy's Kilroy's was 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 the spot for sure. When was the last time you were in Bloomington? Well, the crazy thing is because of how things played out with coach, you know, I kind of, kind of separated myself. You know, I just had, again, who am I? I'm nobody, but I just had a respect to coach Knight. Now, sure. You know, like Tom Crean is a good friend of mine. So like he asked me when they were in New York, if I would speak to the team. Okay. I spoke. And then I didn't go back until they honored the, that um, 92 team. Maybe it was in 2017. And, yeah, you know, I talked to a bunch years. of the guys and I'm look, I am so grateful. I went because I got to spend time with Eric Anderson. It's the last oh. time I saw him. Uh, and I, you know, cause Eric, it's crazy story. Cause Eric, Eric played for the New York Knicks. Right. Mm -hmm. So he didn't know anyone in New York. Well, my guys were all in New Jersey, New York. So he started like, you know, they would hang out with Eric. They knew him through me. Right. And so, let alone like Biggie, like who he used to roll with was Anthony Mason at times, right? Oh, no. But the great Eric Anderson story now, Eric, you know, like, you know, he, he was smart with his money. But what Coach Riley would do, even though you're not supposed to do in the NBA, he'd give $100 a charge, right? And Eric, again, didn't get a chance. You know, he would play like, you know, he was not in the rotation, end of the roster player. This dude in one game took three charges because he wanted 300 bucks. You know, you gotta, you gotta love it. But the, uh, I love that. Uh, yeah. I love uh, that. Um, before we let you go, I know you can't talk about specific players. Don't want you to do that, but you've been in the NBA for a long time. Mike Woodson's been in the NBA for a long time. I have to think your paths have crossed. 
many. We times. worked together. Yeah, the Clippers, was, right? Yeah. Clippers. yeah, yeah. We worked together for three, four so years. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what can you tell us that we may not know about Woody? Yeah, I don't know whether you know it or not, because what I love about Woody is he's a genuine guy, and you know, Woody, Woody uh, combines, you know, being uh, demanding with care. He, he, and Woody's had great experience with dealing with young guys because of his NBA experience as a head coach in Atlanta. He had a bunch of young players, you know, some straight from, from high school. Um, he's, I think he's done, you know, look, I think he's done a terrific job. You look at year one and as you know, progress is never linear. Right. And for, for that group to do what they did in the big 10 tournament, um, and then, you know, again, I can't talk about specific players, yeah, sure. but in terms of Woody, and this goes back to the first time I met Woody, this guy loves, loves, loves IU. And like, 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 no, like he loves IU. He loves Coach Knight. And, you know, like every year, you know, him, Randy Whitman, Quinn, Scott, they go spend time with, Co like, like, it is, it is so important for IU to get back to the top, to Woody, not to speak for him, but just like knowing just my time spent with him of how passionate, just talking about IU and how important it was. Um, and, you know, he, I think you look at it, he understands he can make adjustments in game because that's what NBA coaches do all the time. I think he assessed overall the, the skill level and talent of the team and, probably figured out we better be a dominant defensive team. Mm -hmm. And then as they continue to develop and like now college coaching, there's a draft in that, like that's high school. And then there's free agency. There's the portal. Right. And, and now you have a salary cap in, and you know, in with name, image and likeness. So oh, yeah. there's a lot of things to juggle, but like, like so happy, like, cause I know how important it is to Woody for IU to be seen in the light that, you know, he for so many years, you know, saw it and there. And I think he's, he's, he's done a great job and will continue to do a great but, job. By the way, real quick on the salary cap thing, you know why John Calipari never worked out as an NBA coach? I'm not going there now. <laughs> no, 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 you don't have to. You don't have to. But the reason is because... Cal did a good job. You got to say, no, no, these no, are friends job, of mine. The, the, reason, the reason it didn't work out for him in the NBA is because he's not used to working with a salary cap. Boo-boo! <laughs> there we go! Lawrence. Uh, Lawrence. Yeah. L. Frank. Jersey Shore pimp. We've had a lot of great conversations on this show. We've done about 200. But, man, this is way up there. Not just because you're so fun and and so funny but the insight you were able to share uh, about both coach knight and the players and your experience this is like a very special conversation that i'm sure the listeners out there are just gonna gobble up and i can't thank you enough for taking all the time that you did to share your experience and your point of view and your humor with us well look it's i appreciate you guys humoring me by having me on but the uh is but I, I think it's it, it's awesome especially again with it there's there's not many times that I, that person i reflect back you know and i think about you know because you're constantly kind of living in the present and then going what's next sure. but it's it's awesome the passion that you guys have for the university uh and what it means 
because you know that's that's what makes these you know Indiana so special, right? And that because not every university has you know that sort of you know like you know it's just it. I always crazy. thought it was like Cra yeah. crazy people. It doesn't have yeah, those well, crazy people. <laughs> well, you need that, but that's yeah. that's the same reason when you walk into an IU versus athletes in action game in 1988, you know you're going. I've never seen anything like this in my life. Right. You know, but that's costing and it's, it's awesome. And it's a, it's awesome. Especially now I speak as a father with two girls in college, like, you know, like, you know, not everyone has those experiences. And so right. it's so spoiled that, that we all did. I, I agree. And just to piggyback on what Ward said, you know, you're, you're, you're way too humble. Uh, but your humility is why so many people just revere you. I mean, everybody that I know that knows you and we know some of the same people, they just rave about you and love being in your presence and talking to you. Such a stand-up guy. But I got to tell you, man, as a Hoosier, you know, your career, we have followed it, man. We followed it and we've rooted for you. I don't give a tumbling shit about the New Jersey Nets. But when you were the head coach there, I cared about the New Jersey Nets, man. I, I started following the Pistons when you went there. Like, we care about you because you were a Hoosier. That's a special time and a place. And, you know, Hoosiers stick together, man. So even though you're from T-Neck and I'm from St. Louis and Ward's from Peru, Indiana, you're our guy and we're with you. So now that you're with the Clippers, man, I we just root like hell for you. It means a lot to us to watch your career and how you've done and continued to grow and you hit an obstacle and you clear it and you keep moving. It's an inspiration, man, to a lot of people and, and we love rooting for you. Well, I appreciate it. It's very, very kind of you. Also, do you know the comedian Bill Burr? Uh, yeah, I know Bill Burr. Yeah. You're, you're very much similar to Bill Burr. I wish, man. No, you, do. you do. You are similar. You guys have similar mannerisms, and you got to check out his newest stand-up special. It's amazing. Is it good? Oh, it's uh, phenomenal. It's the best. I got, I got it. Yeah, those guys are geniuses. I mean, yes. those. I mean, you know, the I, I, I've been spoiled that I've been able to be in some of these guys' company, and not Bill Burr, but the. But it's just, it's, it's awesome. Like you think about every night what they have to deal with, it's and amazing. like the rise and climb. It's crazy. It is. Look, this has been so fun over Zoom. We do hope, whether it's in L.A. or Bloomington, our paths will cross in real life. I mean, hell, and we're all in L.A. we got to come to a Clippers game. you got to come to a Clipper game. You name it. Schedule comes out on Wednesday. I'll send you any game you want to come to. Awesome. Right. And now we're fraternity brothers. Jeez, that's a whole new level. <laughs> I don't really think. Is this it? This is it. No, you got to put the thumbs out. Oh, it's, really? It's faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and wow, love. Wow, you're good. <laughs> and and you guys are fraternity brothers, and we're Jews. Shalom. That's it. <laughs> it's one happy tribe. That's right. All right, man. Be good. All right. Appreciate you guys. That was a guest. That was a guest. Speechless. Both of us. He's just fucking awesome. I mean, yeah. he's just awesome. He is Bill Burr. He is Bill Burr. When he gets like into it, that is how Bill Burr does his comedy. But I mean, I just. Uh, he was into I, it the whole time. Like yeah. the, the, the kind of personality he is, that energy, that passion, that humor. Uh, and, and you combine that with the journey he's been on. And it, it just what an incredible, impressive fun human being that what you were kind of summarizing there for him i was hearing you say it i was like i'm just so proud that he's yeah. a hoosier i'm yeah, just yeah. so proud 
Yeah, I, I mean, just his personality is infectious, you know? And you said it best when you were summing it up. The insight that he gives about Coach Knight, about just the pushing the people past the point where they can naturally get themselves, whether it's physically or emotionally or mentally or whatever it is, and changing for each player to push them the way that they need to be pushed. And and it does start with, you better recruit the guys that got the stuff to begin with, right? I mean, it is, yeah. you, you can't, you can't just make, you know, chicken salad out of chicken shit. You, you've got to, you've got to start with some good ingredients. Well, and that goes for your managers too. Cause when you look at the coaching tree slash managerial tree of coach Knight, and that whether he's directly involved or that he has just such great people around him. And making, they know what he needs around him. Yes. And can identify the talent of Lawrence Frank, the New Jersey pimp. You know, when you do, you have this sea of political favors within state of all these kids who have been born and raised to be Hoosiers, however they can be, that somebody in that process or somebody's identified Lawrence Frank and the potential he held and brought him into the fold. And now we get a brag about him. And to have somebody like that take the time to to speak with us about these things. I mean, I it's hard to put into words the command of the game of basketball and the business of basketball that this man holds inside his brain to be able to go from Coach Knight secretly calling in uh, Kevin O'Neill and saying, you got to hire this guy. It'll be the biggest mistake of your life. And to now he's sitting there as the president of the Los Angeles Clippers. It's so remarkable. And, and to have that brain in a very hilarious form, share so much of that with us. It's such a gift. Yeah. Hilarious and humble and just down to earth. He's just a Jersey kid from T-neck. I mean that he just is like, I, you know, we went to school with a lot of those guys. Like, there's a lot of those guys that we met. I've worked with a lot of those people, um, especially when I was at WWE. Like, you just meet a lot of guys that are, like, from that area. A lot of the crew guys are from that area. And, like, he could just – he can talk to anybody. You can tell. Like, he's just so comfortable in his own skin. And and I just loved him saying, like, it was Coach Knight. Like, that was it for him. Like, yeah. we had basketball player idols, but his was, like – I got to be there. I don't know what I'm going to glean from it. I don't know how it's going to help me, but I just know I have to be around it. And then once you're around it, your whole life has changed. Yeah. And it did. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it did. Our lives have changed in that we started recording a podcast in your garage. He runs a billion dollar uh, operation in the NBA. So <laughs> little different, little different. But at least we get to talk to him. Yeah, we do get to talk to him on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, man, this was the perfect way to end the podcast that is right before what is going to be a really special week. Not to get too sentimental, but when I went to this fantasy camp three years ago, I mean, you were along for the ride every step of the way because I called you all the time. We were recording stuff. I was telling you about it. But the only thing that was bad about that camp, the only thing was that you weren't there, that no. you weren't experiencing it. It's true. And then when we came back 
and we talked about it and we knew that they were going to do it again next year and we were set we were going to go and then the world changed with covid and everything has changed since then and here we are three years later and obviously we're a part of planning it a little bit but when we get there we get to just be you and me as indiana fans and and indiana just crazies and we get we get to be hoosier hysterics together at this experience i am so looking forward to this week to spend it with you and do that i i just uh I'm on cloud nine. Yeah, brother, whether it's uh, on the floor of Assembly Hall or in the emergency room, I'm glad we're doing it together. (laughs) Bedside by bedside. (laughs) It's going to be fun. All right. If you haven't purchased your tickets yet, one more time, HoosierFantasyExperience.com. HoosierFantasyExperience.com. FanFest is Saturday night. Can't wait to see many of you there. It's going to be amazing. Ward, I'll see you at the airport tomorrow. Yeah, LAX, baby, 10 a.m. Follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I. But but the sometimes sometimes why. why. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.